Podcast for it Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss the movie with you, I have enlisted the help of Christian Matroski. Um, according to my driver's license, you could just refer to me as Hazel Eyes. And with a Dawn of the Planet of the Apes tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, wait, so the twist was it was Earth all Spoiler. <laughs> Some people haven't seen the original, Kelly Wan, just so you know. Come on. That's and like when I say the original, I'm talking about the 1962 Charlton Heston movie. Eight sixty-eight, bro. I have no idea. I just took a blind stab in the dark. Uh, two. They didn't have a color then. Oh, I guess they did. Because Wizard of Oz. Similar movie. Yeah, that was 1962, Wizard of Oz. But... She, Dorothy's kind of like Charlton Heston in that movie. Wait, uh, did you not see the 68 one? I mean, the 62 one? Tom? I don't think so. I mean, I think I what? knew it through Ever? osmosis. Oh. Sure See, now you're saying I spoiled it, even though you know only the ending. Everybody knows the ending of that. <laughs> no, you're agreeing with me. There's no place like Earth. There's no place like Earth. Oh, see, Dingus, nice work. Kevin, why didn't we just let Dingus talk? That's usually the answer. <laughs> um... Let's Wait, do, Tom. Yes, yes, Kelly Wand. They came together ruled, and you're crazy. just want to say that. Huh. I think, because you, you said the, the humor was too obvious for you. Right. It was obvious. It was It was basically like watching a ske- sketch comedy, Saturday Night Live quality level. Here's sketch the- comedy drawn out over 90 minutes, uh, and none of it related to anything else except that at no, some Matt point, Tom David is. Wayne or Michael Showalter thought, hey, this would be funny here. Let's just do it. doesn't matter if it fits. doesn't matter if it makes sense. doesn't even matter if it's funny. Like Let's just I throw think, it in there. Not everything was like that, though. Like the waiter with the pulp is ass, like, I'll grant you, but come on, cup of joel, <laughs> Meg Ryan. The things that were funny weren't funny by virtue of anything. The little brother? By virtue of anything the movie was doing. They were funny because an actress like Amy Poehler can deliver the line – I thought I was getting a vibe there. And make it funny. <laughs> she is funny. That line was stupid. It made no sense. Um, but she's a she's a funny woman. And she's great. Uh, and yeah, the, the rest of the movie. Dingus, let me let's let's have Dingus be our litmus test. Tell you what, Kelly Wan, if you can make Dingus think a scene from They Came Together is funny, you win. Swish. I, wait, wait. If I can make him think a scene is not funny, I win. Ready? Tell me about it. Dingus, would it be funny if we have a movie where the the male lead goes to his his grandmother, his his, his uh, I think uh, booby is what what he calls her because he's of Jewish descent. I don't know if it's a Russian thing, whatever that is. He goes to see his booby to get advice about his love life, and she advises him. And before he leaves, you know, she's in like an old folks home. She's a very elderly lady. Paul Rudd, of course, is the gentleman who is asking her for advice. She gives him advice, something like you know, follow your heart, whatever. 
So he's hugging her. He's like, thank you, Grandma. Thank you so much for, for your help. And he gives her a hug. And the hug kind of lingers. He, like, whispers in his ear, Grandma, I really want to fuck you. What, and he what? starts, like, he starts massaging her ass. It's not a real ass. And, and you're still and, and like, I really want to fuck you. I really want to fuck you. And then and then she's like, oh, no, we can't. And he's like, okay, God, you're right. We can't. No, she comes on to him. Yeah, she's like, uh, okay, yeah, you should fuck me. Whatever, Tom, whatever however it works out. So, Dingus, is that scene that I've just described, is that funny? No, no, you, 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 uh, you lost me a grandma, so thanks. There you go. Now, Kelly Wan, see if you can describe a scene to him and make him think that it is funny. See, it's Cup of Joel. It's like a Cup of Joe, but Joel. Uh. <laughs> All right. This is a tough room. <laughs> Mission <laughs> decomplished. <laughs> Hey, big brother. So, I, I will admit, though, that watching or not watching they came together, and Dingus has seen part of it, so it's a little unfair because it definitely doesn't work for the two of us. But but watching they came together, and then discovering that Kelly Wand liked it, kind of made I loved me, it. Well, it made me think. You know, this is Kelly Wand's thought process. This is how we get these wonderful synopses. Right. Ah, and this kind of humor. Exactly. This kind of this kind of humor can work for a, a 10, 15 minute synopsis of a movie, but I'm not going to sit here and watch this 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 humor presented with all the machinery and the support structure of a major motion picture, you know, with the star power of Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler uh, and Kobe Smulders and Michael Shannon, uh, you know, with, with, with sets and, and film and, and, and uh, you know, all those stupid jokes. They don't need that. Just have Kelly Wan tell me those jokes. It's like somebody doing a, a sort of a desultory stand-up routine. Just because it's a funny stand-up routine doesn't mean it's going to make a, a, a good feature film. And that's my feeling about what David Wayne and Michael Showalter have done with What Hot American Summer and They Came Together. But romantic comedies feel that way to me, and like just endless. So the way that the cheapness and the obviousness that you're talking about, like I think those are all deliberate. See, this is the thing. When they directed Holy Grail, it's like they had two directors on it. It was like Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam both directed it. Mm-hmm. And Terry Jones was the one who was like, make sure you get the joke. But Terry Gilliam was the one who just made it look more like a movie. And so I think production values throw you off. I think this movie was just expensive enough to annoy. Because <laughs> <laughs> as an options, you're right. I was picturing the script. I go, this is a really good script. Tom's crazy for not finding it funny. But it's such a it's a very subjective thing. Do you at least admit right. humor is? No, I, mean, no, no I, am, I am the final arbiter of all things humorous, Kelly Moore. I need <laughs> to run everything by me before you think it's funny. It was what Hot American Summer was out the other night by chance, and I rewatched it. And you rewatched what? Re- what Hot American Summer? Oh, oh, right, okay. Well, it really held up for me on purpose. You rewatched it. Oh, oh, I see. Because you like it. I, I see. Okay. <laughs> he was too sports awesome. to watch it. <laughs> You don't like Paul Rudd in that movie? I like his tantrum, but otherwise, no. I don't like anyone in that movie. I don't like anything. I don't. Like- uh, I don't. I don't find it funny. I feel bad for poor Ken Marino. <laughs> no, I Bradley Cooper's in that movie. As in oh, that's right. Yeah, barely, but yeah, it's like it's before he was Bradley Cooper. Mm, you can see the glimmer. You can see. Yeah, you can definitely see the glimmer. I, I can't imagine he didn't ever have that Bradley Cooper glimmer. My copy jokes are better than Paul Rudd's. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Dingus, can you – what would be your prediction about whether or not Kelly Wand would like Bad Words, the Jason Bateman spelling bee movie? Uh, I think it's too romantic for him. <laughs> 
Can you tell Kelly Wand a scene from Bad Words that might give him a sense for whether or not he would like it? Um, uh, a guy, instead of having a, a scene where a guy like repeats several lines over and over again with a bartender, he takes a little kid to a bar. And then he has shots with the kid. Mm, I think I'm afraid you're just going to sell Kelly Wand on this. You're going to make yeah. him honest. You're going to make him think it's like Bad Santa. It's Sorry, a bad that. basketball, too. Yeah. That happens a lot. It is, uh, it is Bad Word Santa. Well, I think it's clear. It's trying to, I mean, I think that's part of the title. Actually, I don't know. Maybe there's actually a book or something called that. But that, that was the impression I got is that they were trying to make a Bad Santa type movie, but about a spelling bee. So, right. Um, did it work for you? Did you like it? Because we, we rented it recently. We've, we've watched it and didn't talk about it. Uh, did you love Bad Words? <laughs> Sounds like a horrible way to live, but I don't way. know that I loved it, but I quite, I quite liked it. I, I just had a good time watching it. Yeah. Ooh. I, don't, I think Kelly Wand wouldn't like it. Yeah. When you say there's too, there's too much redemption in it. I mean, I love how, uh, I love, by the way, I, I think I am this podcast's and I defy either of you to challenge me on the statement I'm about to make. I am this podcast's biggest Jason Bateman fan. And I loved watching him do something different than just a normal straight man, decent fella kind of role. Uh, I loved watching him try to play a gruff, crass, you know, fuck off kind of uh, anti-hero. Um, I'm not convinced he pulled it off, and I think it had way too much redemption ultimately. Um, but I liked it works. while it was going in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. I really quite liked that. Yeah. And I, I liked how, I liked the fact that he was he was just being this jerk for so much of it, and he just couldn't give a fuck. I love that. And uh, I'm a, I've got a huge soft spot after a movie called Afternoon Delight. I have an enormous soft spot for Katherine Hahn, by the way. I, I want to see everything she's in, maybe even that Dippy TV show that you watched, Dingus. What Dippy TV show are you talking about? Isn't she from Parks and Rec? I don't, I've never seen that show. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you know. That show's good. Yeah, no, Dingus watches it, and I, I, I saw her in a movie and really liked her a lot and was told, or I think I looked up, she's been in a bunch of things. She's a character actress that even if you don't know the name Catherine Hahn, if I were to show you a picture of her, you would totally go, oh yeah, her, I've seen her in a million things. Uh, and I know she, I've been told she's got a recurring role on, on Parks and Rec, um, which Dingus is a fan of. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she, but she was also, um, Dadgummit, what did I see her in that I really loved her in? She was in some political thing I saw her in. Fargo? Uh, Dave? Uh, no, I can't remember now. She I played... Percent. Oh, they, she was in the newsroom, of course. Um, the newsroom, which is not a very good show, but she's really good in it. Is she like a... I, I want her, because in Afternoon Delight, she's kind of a goofball, but she has a more serious role. And actually, kind of even in Bad Words... Uh, she's not like she normally plays like the uptight mom kind of character, I guess. But uh, what she did in Bad Words, I think, is different from what she normally does. Um, yeah. So. All right. So uh, there you go. Um, a little. Yeah, I, I love her. I love her. She's great in Parks and Rec, and she's wonderful in in uh, in um, Newsroom. Anyway. And Bad Words. And Bad Words. How about the oh. sex scene, Stingus? I don't know what you mean. Oh, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Kelly, I'm sorry, Kelly. Why did I distract you? Yes, yeah, so kind of bad words. <laughs> They're not bad. Profanity. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. What else have we seen recently, Dingus? Well, segue. This what? week we saw yes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Ah, right. Yes, I seem to recall that. A 2014 science fiction action drama franchise reboot sequel movie about a lot of single tears. 
it you know was, what the fifth one ends with a single tear, a statue of Caesar crying. The old ones. Uh, so. It was it was directed by Matt Reeves. God. <sighs> and written by Mark Bomback and Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, based on the novel La Planète des Singes by Pierre Boulle. It stars Andy Serkis, Jason Clark, Carrie Russell, Toby Kevill, uh, uh, and Nick Thurston. Oh, you left out Chloe Grace McGinstons. Because she's not in it. It does also star a picture of James Franco. Oh, he's better and in this than he was in the other one. It also actually stars the lovely Judy Greer. Well, I don't know. What? I know, I know, right, Kelly Wand? I feel like, well, we'll get into that, but I'm angry. I feel like I was deprived of the Judy Greer I should have gotten. Damn it. Hmm. So. We, we go to movie with the Judy Greer we have, Tom, not the Judy Greer we, we wish we had. Thanks, Matt Reeves. <laughs> Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is rated PG-13. Four intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action, and brief, strong language. No! <laughs> Kelly Wand, go home. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes opened at number one. It made seventy-three million dollars this weekend. Uh, well, yeah. uh, it's up from the original. The original made fifty-five million. So if they keep going at this rate, you mean the Wahlberg? Oh my God, that's right. I what totally forgot about that. That was a- the original. Mean? What does that mean? Well, that, that's an odd thing. You're right. Like, obviously, we mean this from this reboot, the, the uh, not Rupert Wyatt. Uh, yeah, I think that was the director's name. The previous Andy Serkis one. But everybody forgets, I guess, that Tim Burton, Mark Wahlberg one. Uh, but when you say the original one, do you mean the 1962 one? Or as Kelly Wan likes to think of it, the 1968 one. Well, now they're taking three movies to do the same amount of story that the old movies did in less than one movie. One of my favorite things about uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is it is so not beholden to those campy 60s movies and 70s movies. Uh, I love that about it. I love that it's about apes. It's just about the fucking apes. Franco's barely in it. Oh, you finally saw it? Yeah, I did, right before this one. Or like two nights before, and I really liked it. Well, speaking of really liking it, the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is at 91%. 91% of the reviews of this Matt Reeves movie are positive. Huh. What was uh, that again? What was what? What was the per- percentile on Let Me In? Uh, I would have to go back and look that up, but I'm guessing it's not as high as Cloverfield. That's my, uh, on Metacritic, which is the rating of various reviews. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is at 79. That was the year uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes came out. That was also the year that there was a, a Concord-themed airport movie. Oh, yeah, that's the one I didn't see. Yeah. What happens to it? Uh, there's a bomb on it, eh, and I think that's it. That. I think, yeah, I think there's nothing. They <laughs> ran out just, of ideas. Yeah. Let's change the plane shape and left everything else the same. Yeah. Went back to the first it's a reboot. Uh, Kelly Wand, speaking oh, yeah. of reboots, why don't you reboot for us Dawn of the Planet of the Apes by telling us in your own words what happens in this movie. Perhaps you might refer to such a thing as a Dawn of the Planet of the Apopsis. Ooh, I like that. That's probably better than what I have. What do you have? 
Dopsis of the Planet of the Apes. I like that as well. What was um, yours? I forget. Cool. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you're listening, there are going to be spoilers in this, I'm assuming. So uh, Kelly Wand, uh, take it away. Uh, Kelly Wand, drive it like you stole it. Oh, like the tank or like the ape does. <laughs> hey, very good. <laughs> With the same results, probably. Drive it like Koba on an armored personnel carrier. His name was Kobe. Koba? Uh, no, wasn't it Koba? The actor's name is Toby. The ape's name, I believe, was Koba. I don't know. That was probably very confusing for him. <laughs> and the actor. <laughs> I have seen footage of them in their motion capture outfits, and they tend they look like a sports team. They have their names, or, or almost like a military <laughs> operation. They have big old like tape with their names written on them. <laughs> it's great to see a guy sitting there with the word rocket on his, on his <laughs> uniform. Like, if that was a monkey watching motion capture fuckwads jumping around, it was... <laughs> That's so, what that's what we did in the that's what we did in the theater. Dude. Yeah, Kelly Wand. We were monkeys watching that. All right, so Kelly Wand, what do you got for us? Rock and roll. Dopsis of the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Yes. Some CG reminds us how in the first movie, James Franco's incompetent, fat, dumbass, bearded friend infected the world with plague by not knowing how to work a gas mask and infecting James Franco's asshole character neighbor, subverting the friend's plan to infect James Franco. But since Franco's house is abandoned in this, I guess Franco's dead, or he moved. The asshole neighbor was an airline pilot, as evidenced by his intolerance for those with Alzheimer's. A bunch of lines show us how plagues work. Obama's all, since we're calling this plague the simian flu and the primates responsible for killing a bunch of cops on the Golden Gate Bridge or living in the Redwoods and gathering one might be a step and uh, finding a cure from what I saw in a Kate Winslet movie, we're uh, not going to check it out. Duck and cover. <laughs> For many years, nothing interesting happens. <laughs> Cornelius, the Andy Circus ape, get it, leads a daring and intricate ambush on a billion deer that I guess suddenly started thriving right next to Ape Ewok Village, and also right next to a San Francisco populated by starving dudes with hunting rifles. <laughs> There's a brief kerfuffle when a bear comes out of nowhere, like the bus in Final Destination, and attacks Cornelius' son Dunstan for no reason. <laughs> but since he's a consummate warrior, Cornelius loses his spear, the bear falls on top of him, and another ape saves him. In sign language, Cornelius is all, think before you act, son, better yet, hold your spear more tightly. In English, he's all, you complete me. <laughs> you get that joke, Tom? It's complex. Junior's all, Dad, what's with war paint? They're dear. <laughs> also, thought we ate bananas. Cornelius in sign language saw 19th century race wars, humans wore war paint to scare humans wearing hats. The kid ape saw, we'll use against humans later. Cornelius shrugs. The asshole ape Kobe saw, Cornelius trust deer too much. But they trade dubious fives and part on amicable terms. (laughs) (laughs) Dubious fives. (laughs) 
that's probably never been written before. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a victory. <laughs> Meanwhile, two of the apes stumble on an ethnic dude drawing his gun. He's all, "It's okay." He shoots one of the apes. <laughs> Remember that part? He recocks his gun, aims it at the other ape, and goes, "It's okay." <laughs> But the ape looks vaguely suspicious. <laughs> the human's hiker friends show up. The tall one's all, Charlton, stop! <laughs> Charlton's all, oh, so now I'm the asshole character. The ape sign languages. Oh, a bunch of the other apes show up. Wait, now I fucked that up. The ape sign languages, guys, they shot Ed. Oh, wait, hang on, you can't hear this. Then he shrieks and they all show up. <laughs> <laughs> they do nothing. Then uh, Cornelius shows up. Felicity saw. Please, I was with the CDC. Sorry about the global plague. Cornelius tells them to leave, and they're in such a hurry, the kid they brought along for no reason leaves his backpack behind. By the way, are there two kids in this fucking movie? Or did I get the Jay Baruchel kid mixed up with? Yep, you you the, just got uh, some Cody Smith McPhee. That's all you get. Oh, he's the sketcher? He's the Jay Baruchel with a uh, charisma removal system. He's consistent. I can see why he wants to work with Matt Reeves. <laughs> Cornelius opens the pack. A notebook drops out. He opens it. The first page in Hesher font is all Johnny's sketchbook, bitches. <laughs> then there's the word plague in Hesher font and a picture of the fat guy coughing on the neighbor. And the yellow circumference lines from the opening credits, and a picture of Johnny looking at his picture of his parents and crying while the sketchbook blows him. Cornelius sheds a tear. Kobe and I roll our eyes. Cornelius is married to an ape with Christmas tree lights on her head. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell was that? Was that a queen's crown, or was she a lab monkey? I think it was leftovers from uh, being a lab monkey. I couldn't quite tell. They just left it on her? Or did they just need something on every ape's face we needed to keep track of? I think it had been embedded in her skull. Yeah. Because he does, isn't he, like, there's, he's, she's the ape that he rescues at the end of the first movie, right? Oh. Doesn't that get set up in the first movie? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Remember the Mars part? Never mind. Cornelius' wife wheezes a lot, so we know she's sick or in labor, or in this case, both. (laughs) She gives birth to a monkey-shaped CG, and I guess they cut the umbilicus somehow. I nudged... (laughs) so dumb. I nudged the baby chimp sitting beside me. I can't say this line. I don't know if you guys will get it. I go, hey, is it cool if I pretend Into the Storm is a sequel to A Serious Man? Because it's tornadoes. It's part of the school. Meanwhile, back at Camp Frisco, the tall ones all to Gary Oldman. By the way, Charlton shot an ape. Uh, so 80 more showed up. Uh, there are dicks about it. The leader spoke. I know this sounds bananas, JK, but he seems more fleshed out than either of us. <laughs> <laughs> Oldman's all, 80? How dare you? Suddenly, Cornelius and the apes show up on horseback and drop the backpack in the middle of the street. Cornelius is all, Stop bringing your backpacks! <laughs> <laughs> then they leave. Old Moon's all, 
that was way more than 80. <laughs> the black chick at the back of the crowd saw, looks more like 83. Mm-hmm. Remember that chick? Never mind. The tall one saw, I'm going back out there. I forgot to tell you, but we only have power for another week, so we got to fix a dam. I need to talk the apes into letting us turn it on, but it won't be easy. These clearly aren't ordinary apes. Gary Oldman saw, shut up, why do you say that? How do you even know they'll understand you? The scientist shows him the backpack. The black chick saw, plus they just talked English for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Remember that backpack part happens? Sidebar, speaking of English, this morning on LinkedIn, since I guess I'm part of a group called, quote, Video Game Professional, I received a spam message under the subject line, Hello all, I'm a professional rantslater seeking for the chance to get involved in. At this point, I bailed out. He's a rantslater. Gary Oldman's all, look, tall guy, if the apes attack us, I can't go back out there with a megaphone. I'll need a microphone. And since we have no power, no one will be able to hear a word I say. Is that what you want, ape lover? The tall ones all, look, relax. Me and their leader shook on it. Only goods ever come from a monkey's paw. He goes back to his apartment with Felicity. He's all, fucking old man, what a headache. Did your apocalypse uh, get rid of aspirin? She's all, there's one bottle left, but I left it back at the ape camp. He's all, uh, they'll probably bring it back tomorrow and lecture us again. Hey, I probably should have asked that ape when he was just here if we could work on the dam. But I guess I'll just go back out there. <laughs> they had like five conversations. Could have been one conversation. Anyway. She's all, Johnny and I are coming with you. And that's final. The kid's all, wait, what? <laughs> His dad's all, look, Felicity, we've seen things no kid should see. And I don't want my kid having to see anything like that ever again. She's all, kids shouldn't see talking animals? So, no, I meant the uh, apocalypse part before that. Most of 13. <laughs> the kid's all, Dad, what's an apocalypse? That's my photo, McPhee. For some reason, they bring Charlton along on their diplomatic mission. He keeps a gun in his toolbox instead of a saw. Cornelius bans them from bringing guns, although if he was as smart as we're told, he'd have just banned the asshole character. They make him wait in the car for two days instead of driving home. <laughs> Or he just fumes. <laughs> I see what they're going for, although we're told he's their damn specialist. <laughs> but the tall guy's on it. He and his kid slither down a tunnel in the middle of the dam. He's all, damn! Uh, uh, fuck, maybe we should have brought more than ten feet of cable. Hmm. <laughs> oh, well. He hits the plunger. <laughs> I'm not making much up. <laughs> I really am not. <laughs> they get buried alive, but they stick them out for some reason. The kid chokes out some rock and beaver tail. From his car, Charlton honks the horn angrily and goes, You maniac, you blew it up! Get it? But eventually they hit a switch and a Union 76 ball starts turning. The tall dude's all, Look, honey, we did it. Next stop, oil companies. Cornelius sign languages, yes. Felicity's all, 
Cornelius, I noticed your Christmas tree wife's generically sick. I can help. I just need medicine left behind in the truck across the forest. <laughs> in case Charlton shoots another toe off. They get the medicine, I think. Uh, <laughs> kind of zoned out. She cures the wife by doing shit off screen, like Evangeline Lilly in Hobbit. But Kobe shoots Cornelius in the shoulder, which somehow no one sees but Cornelius. But he forgets to identify his shooter for the ten seconds before he falls. <laughs> Kobe's all, attack, Frisco! My gun smoking for unrelated reason. Ballistics, uh, attack! The tall guy and his kid and Felicity all run away, but luckily the apes vastly outnumber them and have a perfect sense of smell. In the city, tension mounts. Gary Oldman looks at an Etch-A-Sketch and cries. There's a small jelly smear on the screen because the apocalypse. Then a dude in riot gears all, They're approaching from the direction we're all facing. Uh! The tall dude and Felicity drive Cornelius to James Franco's house, which somehow Cornelius knew was unoccupied. Felicity's all, wait, I can help. I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but there's a backpack of medicine I left in the back room of a closet in one of the buildings in case the uh, back room got sick. The tall one's all, oh, go get it. No, Gary. (laughs) You don't even know what it looks like. Plus, it's not safe with all these apes on horseback and driving tanks. At least grow your beard out a little bit. But he goes, thanks to his goodness, he finds Cornelius' son, brings him back to Franco's. Cornelius looks at vidcam footage of himself as a baby chimp teaching James Franco how to poop. (laughs) He cries a tear, Stingus mentioned. Uh, He heals and heads back to the city to battle Kobe high above the skyscrapers. Skyline? Whatever. Because apes follow the strongest branch, and I guess since uh, outing Kobe as being caught in his lie will carry little weight. Meanwhile, the tall one goes down a sewer and finds Gary Oldman sitting there with a bunch of bombs. Oldman's all, don't worry, our black guy there called in the army. But I also set charges to blow up this tower we're at the bottom of. That should kill a couple of those fuckers hanging out up top. Pretty sure their survival skills are useless at high altitudes. Tallman's all, wait, why are we pulling up a tower if the army's coming? Oldman's all, saving the human race! Tower blows up. Charlton's ghost is all, not my fault! Ha ha! He's dead, by the way. Cornelius eventually proves his wisdom by letting Kobe fall off screen, yelling with irritation. Then he goes down to the sewer and sign languages with the tall dude. The tall dude goes back into the dark tunnel. (laughs) This is the ending I was scrambling to write with we started so let's see how I did the tall one goes back into the tunnel to sit down in the darkness and yawn the black chicks all what happened to Felicity's character mm-hmm. Matt Reeves comes out and goes well I already used uh, Statue of Liberty in Cloverfield so from the sewer Lindelof's all nice there's no Easter egg <laughs> <laughs> the end right. so yeah as a fan of the five original movies, well, the first four, this one's kind of weak, but um, I want to know, A, can we skip ahead to the astronaut one? B, we should just, we definitely have to fire Matt Reeves and replace him with David Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and just have Andy Serkis play everybody. Like, go the whole Winkle boss. 
Right, on ninety-one percent of the reviews of this are positive. Are you saying that if you were to review it, yours would be one of those weird outlying nine percent of negative reviews? You didn't like this? See, I I'd have to say it is worth seeing for Andy Circus. I think he's really good in it, but the characters are so fucking cardboard. And like I said, something I liked about the first stage movie was that there were less humans in it. Ironically, but there's this one's so human heavy, and I'd give a shit about any of the human characters. And I think any the mini movie sex where I'm expected to root for humans just because I'm a human because most humans don't do it for me. Mm-hmm. But you didn't see the 1968 one, but there, there's all these stupid speeches in this movie about good men. But it, I want you to see the 68 one because something that's really interesting about it to me is that Charles Heston's a total asshole to the other astronauts at the beginning, and right. he's just like, "Well, the apes lobotomize my asshole friends, so that's why I'm against them." So it's worth saying, like, just as a time capsule, literally, for what movie heroes were in 1968. Well, the first one, too, was, like, a lot of setup and that reveal, of course. I mean, I I do remember enough about it. Like, I haven't seen it. 68 one? Oh, so I've seen it. Yeah, like, I know he can't talk during the whole first part of it. and they all Yeah, they think he's not a civilized human, and uh, there's this whole role reversal, and... This stuff about, you know, has he come to another planet? And then the big... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't know the constellations, even though he's a fucking astronaut. But, like, the, he's just a total dick to the other astronauts. And um, there, there's, a, like, a female crewmate, and she's, like, the one who gets killed off on the way because of a... Like, a rock hits her time capsule thing. It, it, so my, my takeaway... In- Tell me if I'm wrong on this, Kelly Wand. Is that the first movie is this cool kind of Twilight Zone, uh, what the fuck, uh, concept-based science fiction story? But then from that, they become these really silly, campy things with they Roger get, McDowell and makeup. They get decreasingly good, and yet I like them because they're all bummers. Like they're really artful bummers. Like the second one ends with the world blowing up, and the third one ends with. It, they're just all bad scenes, like depressing. Well, isn't that 70s cinema for you? I mean, isn't that... Yeah, but it's just weird because... Yeah, I know. That's what's interesting about them. Right. It's right. Like, and they pumped one out every year, and they all made money. And it's like, they were... It was a cycle of just cheap-ass. And, like, the stuff you remember, like, that's about all that happens in it. Like, it's it's really... There's a lot of filler. Right. And a lot of roaming around. Um and, like, the makeup is a big star, too. Like, I know, like, the makeup was nominated for Academy Awards, and that was a big deal back then. Um, but I meant to, what I said before, uh, is that what I really did like about Rise of the Planet of the Apes was how little beholden it was to those movies. Yeah, and yeah. it was, once again, going back to this, hey, let's do this cool concept-based science fiction story. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this thing seems like Matt Reeves and... Uh, Michael Giacchino, is that how you say the composer's name? Like they, they, they were like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, give something to fans of those stupid campy movies with, you know, apes taking humans prisoner and riding around on horses and shooting guns and driving. Well, that doesn't planes. have to suck. That doesn't have to suck. I don't know, you, I don't know how you could do this without it being goofy. What? I don't, I don't see how this movie, I don't see how, I, Matt Reeves is an idiot. I mean, I think we all agree that he can't make a movie to save his life, even though he accidentally did with Cloverfield. Um, but I, I think that, I, I don't see how you could take this material and not make it stupid. You mean any of it, or just this particular chapter, which to me covers very little story? This particular story of, you know, the humans and the apes meet oh, each other okay. after an apocalypse. They've each got their respective societies, and let's have them fight each other and have this kind of story about racism and power, internal power struggles and, and tolerance. 
Um, well, it's all spelled and, and out. One of them is, and, and, and you know, the, the centerpiece of these movies are going to be action sequences where apes are shooting guns. It's just goofy. It's silly. I don't know what you're supposed to do with it. Maybe Dingus liked this movie. Shooting guns is not... Caroline, you think it's worth seeing. I think it's not worth seeing. I think the thing is terrible, laughable. I don't think there's anything you can do to salvage it. I didn't enjoy any of it. Uh, I think Matt Reeves is is the worst director in all of humanity. Actually, I might be exaggerating a little bit. Um, But Dingus, can you you maybe come to the middle ground between me and Kelly Wand? Oh, happily. I, I, I loved it. Oh, good. Thank God. That's even... Jeez. That's, that's, I don't understand. Because I want somebody who didn't who didn't think this was a terrible movie to explain to me why they thought it wasn't a terrible movie. So, Dingus, why did you love this movie? Uh, I loved it because, quite simply, I mean, there's there's things that I would I would cut out of it without reservation. But the, the sim- quite simply, uh, the... The soulful performance that brings Caesar to life and, and Jason Clark, just the relationship between Jason Clark and Caesar and the juxtaposition of their roles in their different societies and the way those two societies are structured. Um, I, I love those parts of the movie. I mean, I can totally do without, you know, and, you know, Kelly Wan's impersonation of Gary Oldman is spot on. It's like every time Gary Oldman's on screen, it's like I'm looking at him doing his Book of Eli Redux. I'm like, just get him out of here. I couldn't care less about what he's doing. And there's a lot of stuff I couldn't care less about. But watching Jason Clark and Caesar, um, and any, I mean, the, there are a lot of those eight performances that are so freaking soulful, but just looking at that, at Caesar as a character and the way Jason Clark sort of brings to this idea of, of what he wants to achieve, even if the, the story's a little dumb, uh, I, I, I loved what was going on between them. I, I hated it when Koba starts the ape revolution. They're all riding around on horses and shooting guns and whatnot. But I, I, I love so much of that interaction. Where, where Jason Clark and, uh, and Andy Serkis as Caesar are creating this, this, this hope for peace and making that work. And the way those actors were working together, I don't know how they do that. Um, I loved it. Yeah, I really loved this movie. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Dingus, did you know that when they were making King Kong, Andy Serkis wanted to go hang out with the gorillas? Uh, uh, I don't doubt it. You know, that, that, his his performance as King Kong, along with Naomi Watts in that movie, were two of my favorite performances yeah. here. I don't I don't know if you're if you're being mocking here, but, but no no uh, no. I was gonna say he was gonna he wanted to stay their behavior up close. Peter Jackson was all no fucking way. We can't insure you, but he did it anyway on the sly without telling Peter Jackson. And the, then, the the guy is a is a is a fucking yeah. magician. I don't I don't yeah. know what I don't know how he does it. Um, yeah. and I don't know how they bring season. I, I mean, you watch and I, I'm sorry to have to to. Just destroy uh, Cody McAfee again and again and again. But but you watch you watch any of the apes in any scenes with him, and the ape is so much more expressive and interesting than he is in any of those scenes. And I love the way these apes come across. I love it. I love their relationships. I love the the structure of their society. I love the juxtaposition of the way Caesar runs his society as opposed to the way Gary Oldman runs his society, and the way Jason Clark is trying to do the right thing. I I really really like the way, and you know I I agree Tom Tom's right I mean Matt Reeves totally fucked up um, let the right one in I mean let me in is a terrible terrible movie but I really like Cloverfield and like this I don't think he's the best the worst director of all time no he, um, is. he clearly is he is not the worst director of all time name one um, worse see 
See, I rest my case. All right, you're, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> um, give me time. Uh, well, so I, you know, with all the the CG, so here's my weird thing that I was starting. So I think it's mainly just because I didn't like the movie and it was never working for me. Uh, it it just Don't was so so broad and obvious so early. This 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 contrived setup of we need to get the dam for power because we can't send, turn the radio on without it. You know, I mean, a diesel generator will run a radio. I mean, I don't, that, all of that seems so poorly written and clunky. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're running out of diesel. They don't have any gasifiers. Well, no, but they, I mean, right, clear. Oh my God. But they yeah. can't run, they can't run their radio dingus. Like that, there's, that's this thing is that when the power comes on, the, the black guy is like, okay, now I'm on the radio. And like, you hook that to a generator and it's going to work. You right. know, it's just, yeah. it's a, it's terrible plotting. It's terrible writing. There's horrible writing in this stupid thing and and so I, I was so alienated so quickly and thoroughly by much of that that the relationship dingus that you talked about working for you i totally it didn't work for me i thought that jason clark was wasted they didn't do much with him and while i respect the cg uh you know there, there's some good expressive stuff being done here i i kind of am at the point where can andy circus can we let him come out from behind this already because he is a phenomenal actor and we've seen him yeah. live action some stuff and i loved what he did with Gollum. i loved what he did with king kong but i'm watching this kind of feeling in a way the way that i feel when i go to a, a superhero movie and they put a goofy mask on a good actor and to me it just looks wow. laughable in a superhero movie and, and, and superhero movies are getting better about that. You know, they know that rather than just showing us Iron Man <clears throat> to give us tight shots on Robert Downey Jr. inside the suit acting. So I'm kind of watching this movie thinking Andy Serkis is so good and he's so expressive and he's so physical. Someone please do a movie where he can come out from behind this CG. Um, and, and, and so that's kind of like a layer between me and the, the movie at that point because it's losing me. Um, and just, you know, mm-hmm. can, no, because I, I, I also Andy Serkis. By the way, I also know him from uh, there's there's a game called Enslaved Odyssey uh, to the West, where he plays a similar this this sort of feral um, warrior character, uh, and he's in a computer game. You know, his face doesn't appear. It's motion capture of him. Uh, he's done motion capture for a game I think called Heavenly Sword before that, where he's the villain. Um, and I, I see a lot of his work. And I've only seen him a few times in movies like The Escapist or The Cottage, where he's out from behind that. And even in King Kong, he's got a little role. Um, but I want more Andy Serkis without all this CG around him. And so that also is another thing. I love Toby Kebbell, the guy who plays Koba. I love that actor. Yeah. And I want to see him. And I didn't know it was Judy Greer lost in it. I, I, how can I go Which see a movie she? with Judy Greer in it and not get to hear her voice or at, at least hear her voice, if not see her? Um which one was she? The wife? She was the wife, yeah. For whatever reason, they got the fantastic yeah, Judy weird. Greer to play a sickly ape who just kind of rolls around and, and wheezes. You like Maurice, bro? Maurice, that's another weird thing. Like That's an actress. They're they're adapting yeah. an actress's yeah. face to that big, grotesque orangutan grotesque. mug. Sweet. Um, no, it's it's sweet that, grotesque. That orangutan has a, has a serious sort of maternal cast to it. I mean, I mean, that's, I think why they, they cast a, a woman. It's, it's a woman named, uh, Corinne, uh, Canaval, I think is her name. And I think that that orangutan has this weird, wonderful, uh, maternal yeah, yeah. sort of power about it. Gravitas. But, but, I mean, yeah, but it's a, it's a, uh, orangutans are ugly. I hate to tell you guys. What? No, they're not. 
That's you're big, big ugly thing. Dude, you're not. You are such a. Are you say, Are you telling me that orangutans are not ugly? That that uh, big, weird uh, plate face and the close tight eye. No, they're like, it's like they're so ugly they're cute. Okay, I'll grant you that. But you didn't like the what? You didn't like Clyde. Like, is it his personality? Oh, no, I don't like that. Oh, good lord, really? Yeah. No. Clyde. I, and I also don't like monkeys. Gordon, he's, I'm not he's a fan like of monkeys. Oh, well, see, you're I going... Like monkeys. I don't like simians. They're creepy. They're scary. I like the first movie, though. What about King Kong? You like that movie? Yeah, that's not a real monkey, though. It's a fake one. Also, Brett Ratner and Les Wiseman are both worse. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, well, we'll done. find out when we see Hercules this summer, won't we, Kelly Wan? Oh, uh, fuck. No, we won't. Yes, we will. Well, you're supporting homophobia. At any rate, no, I don't literally mean Matt Reeves is the worst director in the world. I just mean he is one of the top three worst directors. He's the worst director in the planet. You know, um, he actually really surprised me in this movie. Matt Reeves, I don't, I don't think it's poor, I don't think it's poorly directed. Okay. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it's. You're right. There is. There is that whole sort of standard poor writing thing that's going on with it. But I think there's enough to recommend it, and he succeeds in enough areas that he's not. Then it's not the most poorly directed movie. Okay, give me some examples because I I would love to hear what you think those are. Because I really, I, I'm kind of at a loss. I I, and and I'm not being facetious. I really want to know like what parts of his direction worked for you. I can't answer any. Oh come on, really? I can help you. You would have brought that up. Like, oh, he's Tom's not remembering the one. No, I would say the close-ups of. Oh, okay, you're trolling. Yeah, I, I apologize. Um, no, I think that that uh, the whole sequence where um, where Jason Clark is going into the camp for the first time, and uh, okay. and he's being and he's being forced to submit yep. uh, over yeah. and over and over again, and the way he's playing that is not the standard action hero way to play that. I mean, he's not trying to do some sort of dickish Charlton Heston or whoever. Like, I'm going to get the other hand. I'm going to fall on my knees every time. I'm going to be dirty. I'm going to be muddy. I'm going to play this exactly how you would play this. And there's stakes there. It's a frightening scene, too, by the right. way. Exactly I mean, it's, right. it's a really effective scene, so I will grant you that. You know what it made me think of, Dingus? Uh, near the finale of Last of the Mohicans, when Daniel Day-Lewis goes in the hostile camp to trade himself uh, for uh, Madeline Kahn. Yeah, very uh, good. Yeah. And, and, you know, I love that scene. And that's what I was thinking. Snow. Madeline Stowe, good lord. Thank you, Kelly. Right. <laughs> that would have been awesome with Madeline Kahn. <laughs> different kind of movie, yeah. <laughs> we'll come for you. Holy. <laughs> uh, but no, you're right. Very good. Uh, Dingus, I will, I will give Matt Reeves credit. He obviously had someone come in and help him with that scene. <laughs> Um, and I love most of that, most of the stuff, uh, because I understand, you know, from, uh, from reading a lot about having to race a dog and understanding like how, like in the animal world, you, you have to like have a pack mentality, you have to dominate. There's a certain way to do that. Um, I love all of those ways that, that Caesar has to dominate his tribe or his pack or his, his community or his Whatever they call that community of apes that they have there, and I love all of the way that that is filmed, the way that that whole, all the production design around that, the way you know the couple of times that that Koba uh, challenges him, and then he does the I don't know how Kelly put it, but the sly high five, whatever he says, which is hilarious. Um, uh, I love that, and I I love some of that stuff in the dam as well. There's the you know even though that. Kelly was absolutely right about that being ridiculous. Like, oh well, we ran out of cord. Might as well just pop this thing off. Um, but there's a there's a couple of moments there where you see just this silhouetted in the background. The first time it's uh, Caesar, and it looks like a human in the background, but it the the 
focus goes clear and it's Caesar. And the second time it happens, it's blue eyes in the background in sort of a mirrored shot um, when he when Jason Clark doesn't get shot and it looks like a human in the background silhouetted as an ape. And I, I love the way a lot of that that is shot. I mean, I, I think that he does a fine job with a lot of that. I can only go with you on the uh, Jason Clark entering into the camp at this point. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer, they're worse. Directors. Meet the Spartans. <laughs> there's, there's, oh, okay. Kelly Wan, it's, uh, it's, it was a figure of speech. Even though it was a literal truth, it was also a figure of speech. When I say he's the worst director in the world, just so you know. <laughs> even though it's a literal truth, it's also right. a figure of speech. Exactly. Right. That's just what <laughs> I'm like saying. There's a million of them. Um, so I don't know what your audience was like, Kelly Wan, but when I saw it, I would, so, uh, it, it was pretty full, by the way. So it's, it's you know, it's on a Friday night. Um, we went on. Uh, it was no, it was an afternoon. But the guy sitting next to me was so incredibly freaking rude during all the scenes with Cody Smith McPhee. And the thing is, this <laughs> guy, I know, I couldn't believe it. It was so disrespectful to the audience, to the movie, to the director, to the casting director. But every time Cody Smith McPhee was in the frame, this guy I saw the movie that was sitting next to me was just giggling uncontrollably and making the seats shake and everything. It was Fine. so rude. I couldn't believe it. Just giggling up a storm every time. A there's on- Cody Smith McPhee. Oh there, my god, I couldn't believe yes, it. Yes, but no, it's not really him. When I went to see it, there, there's this really serious scene where they get, um, Caesar into the back of the truck and he's like been wounded and they're, they're asking him what's going on and, and, and he's saying like, Ape did this and everybody's looking serious at right. him and Cody McAfee is in the background looking like, I don't understand English. Where do, where do I need to look? <laughs> and, the, and the guy sitting next to me started giggling. I'm like, really? No. <laughs> this is a serious moment, and you're you're giggling. Nope, you were giggling first. No, you. Okay, maybe I was giggling first, but you giggled more. All right, it's fine. Every time that, that whatever whoever was shooting this movie, I got to give the guy credit. He did manage several <laughs> scenes where Cody Smith McPhee was in the scene, but he did manage several shots that did not include That's Cody Smith McPhee. And he would every, actually he would pan away from right. it. It was awesome. We <laughs> see them trying to frame out, but. But it's amazing to me the CG in this. For all the CG and the expressiveness they can accomplish, they can't manage to CG an yeah, expression, an expression for Cody Smith McPhee. For that, that fella has one look. They couldn't use all that CG, you know, whether or not, you know, they have scenes with, uh, with Carrie Russell and Jason Clark looking out at the lights coming on in the city and the wonder of it all happening after all these years. And Cody Smith McPhee has the exact same expression in that scene, in the scene when they're loading up the poor wound. Did Caesar in the scene when Caesar and his son are reunited in the scene when the apes are running amok, taking people. Cody Smith McPhee, every single one of those scenes, the same expression. Maybe it's just star Buster Keaton. Now, it occurs. Oh, he does kind of Whoa. have a Buster Keaton look. Wow. That's, you uh-huh. know, Kelly Wand, that's the coolest thing I can think of to say about Cody Smith McPhee. Right. Um, it occurred to me, too, and I mentioned this to Dingus. So I hope this isn't appropriate. I realized that Cody Smith McPhee and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed have the same initials. But I feel it's a little unfair to point that out because Khalid Sheikh Mohammed never destroyed a movie adaptation of a Cormac McCarthy novel. That's true. Yeah. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed never left poor, adorable, little, little Chloe Moritz Grace hanging during a crucial two-person scene in what should have been a touching movie. So I feel it's a little inappropriate to bring that up, and I apologize. So should he be tried in a military court? 
I, it's kind of like Dingus has said before. It, you know, it's it's really a director's fault. I mean, that poor kid. There's there's well, yeah, got to be it's uh, his fault. No, I mean he's just not a very expressive guy, and he I just kind of feel bad for him. And why is he getting cast and stuff? Because it's a Matt Reeves movie, and they were so great together and let me in. Plus, now you're doing what the fucking guy in the audience was doing. You're picking on a kid. We all know how that worked out with Jake Lloyd. You're traumatizing the future. I'm not allowed to do that. I really do feel, though, it's the director's fault. Kids are great actors. Don't cast a guy like that in a role. Cody Smith must be a terrible actor. I don't... Oh, that's what you mean? Yeah. Just don't cast bad actors. That's no, it, it, don't leave a poor kid hanging. I mean, the poor guy is so out of his depth, and it just all you so have to do is, is put guy. him in in a room with with Jason Clark and Carrie Russell, and you know that there's no wattage. I mean, yeah. God bless her heart. I love Carrie Russell. I love her. She's great in this. She does that scene with him, and she might as well be doing a monologue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And all you have it's to do is thankless. have them in the room for a minute or put a camera on them, and you know that. But for whatever reason, they have to put him – they have to sign him up for this. And you're right. It's just – it's not his fault. He's just – he doesn't belong there. He belongs in some sort of, I don't know, Disney television show. Twins, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's that's his weight. New York Bennett, I mean, you, you just have to know what weight your actors are, and he's not that weight. He's just yeah. not. What if it had been Jaden Smith? It's a very good. That's a yeah. That's a very good uh, analogy. Can't wait for their bu- their buddy movie is going to be awesome. <laughs> the, uh, the, the heat. Oh yeah, they're the going to remain forty eight hours. Uh, so did you guys find though that it was a? It, it I think it wanted to be a darker movie, but I thought it was awfully saccharine, yeah. overly saccharine for a movie yeah. that should. I, I feel it wasn't as dark as it. Thought it was, and especially for way too saccharine. Like the first one's kind of dark, even though Franco right? went. But um, but the Apes movies are dark. Like that's what I was saying. Why I like the old ones, and so I thought this one, since it's about apes with guns, it would inevitably end. But it doesn't even. It did a fucking battle to L.A. on us, and it didn't even show us the war. It's all Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then like, okay, army's on the way. Uh, all talks have broken down. There will now be an inconclusive war. Babe, stun, not tactics will decide in the next movie. Like, uh, yeah, conversation well. in the sewer, and suddenly both armies are like, alright, da, 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 and then the prisoner's over there. We're going back to the woods. We're not taking hostages. We're going to go back to the same woods. Do they go back to the... Oh, yeah, wait. Why just find other woods. They have the whole planet. Why are they fucking sitting around in the redwoods? Well, it's not well, home, home. They all escape from cages. So I, I thought, come on, the ending though, even like the, that scene with Jason Clark and the Andy Circus CG, it was so drawn out and it was so just drenched in syrupy music. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to kiss. Yeah, I did too, actually. I don't know. Thanks, Matt Reeves. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, here's some things that I noticed that I only noticed because I wasn't liking the movie. They're not necessarily material complaints. They're not, they're not big complaints. They may not even be relevant. They're just things that Tom noticed because he wasn't enjoying it. Ready? Uh, the sign language stuff. In the sign language subtitles, they had to put the names of characters when clearly that was not part of the sign. Part of the sign. Yeah. Nobody no, it says, is. halt, son, is sign language. Wait, Dingus <laughs> is contesting that. Yes, uh, I, I certainly am because you have uh, – you don't have to spell out names. You have – 
you have name signs. No, when there are uh, two people talking, someone? when there are two monkeys walking down the road talking to each other in sign language, they do not include each other's names in the sign. Oh, language. okay. In sign language, you got to spell out the whole name, which seems well, weird because you could just point at someone. Well, it's really no, no, like, no, no. In sign, you don't have to do that in sign language. You have a, you have a name know. sign. You you have a simple name sign, and and it's very simple. Like Koba was like a like a like a uh, like a, a thumb brush. So it might be like a bong smoking. Yeah, it can be a very simple name sign, and and it, and and but Tom's right. I mean, th- that's for our benefit. But right. a lot of the writing is like that. I mean, that whole. It's also in a yellow font. That, that whole tough. that whole like Gary Gary Oldman exposition scene where well we must go to the stockpiles yeah. now. We are going to go to the stockpiles. Or Kerry Kerry Russell explaining to Jason Clark, I've been trying to get close to him for so long. I know that you know you've lost your wife. You know all that exposition. It's this uh, the stuff for the sake point. of the audience. I left my bag. Did it have your sketchbook in it? <laughs> okay, here's the other one. When uh, and this gives you a sign. Uh, not this isn't entirely true, but this is how early I was not into the movie. So if you're going to use footage of Obama, <laughs> you're going to use it to to uh, represent this idea that that a con- an infectious disease has broken out in the population, and the sound bites that you take from Obama, supposedly addressing the country about a crisis involving an infectious <laughs> disease. Here are the two sound bites they get. Prepare your families. Know your evacuation routes. <laughs> See, he's president. He's getting shit done, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, what, that's good advice. That has nothing to do with the apocalypse that was set up in the last movie and that we find has befallen the world in this movie. I'm assuming he doesn't mean evacuate into the Redwoods. <laughs> That's, that's all the footage they could get of Obama saying something that vaguely sounded like it might fit their stupid move, their movie. I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to be Tom. It's more of a stupid plague. <laughs> should be real criticism. Uh, okay, that's did you one like thing. the Did you like the production design at all, Tom? Yeah, um, a village, bra. Or Ape City, as it's known in the early ones. Um, not so much the village stuff, because I really was thinking of this like weird Ewoki kind of looking stuff. But I, I did, I do love that production design of uh, of a of a city ruin overgrown with like vines and greenery. And it yeah. reminds me a lot of a, a a game that Naughty Dog did called The Last of Us. And that that was very much and and even that that game before The Last of Us, that game that I mentioned called Enslaved Odyssey to the West. There's this there's this conceit. Oh, and we saw it also in Francis Lawrence's um, the Will Smith one. Dang, guess what the heck was that called? The, I am legend. Yeah, I am legend. Yeah, I, I love an apocalypse that that's not. You know, we have the the outback apocalypse that we know from the Rover and Road Warrior. That's all dusty and bleak and and a desert apocalypse. But I love this ruined city apocalypse where greenery has reclaimed the, the land. So yeah, I did like that production design a lot. Yeah. yeah, there's this moment where they're driving the trucks down over yeah. a hill in San Francisco, and you just see, and it's not overdone. Uh, there, yeah. There's overgrowth that's going on, and even on the very top of the Golden Gate Bridge where, where plants are sprouting up, yeah. and there's plants all over the place here and there. Those are the types of things I really liked. Yeah. Uh, I tried once to. I was going to say I tried once to watch a, a Charlton Heston apocalypse movie, but it requires that you think that Omega Man. Uh, yeah. But you have to think that Charlton Heston is a badass, and I just thought he was a goofball, so I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> well, then he meets the hippie kids, and you go, well, I guess by default. <laughs> but also, like that, those are you know, apocalypses back then were just these kind of. I, I guess they would just take rundown industrial buildings or something and shoot in them for a few weeks. Um, 
And it, it somehow looked more apocalyptic than CG. Well, we didn't know any better back then. Right. I guess. But that movie's PG and there's boobs in it. Blackjack. They could do that back then, Kelly. Well, there's a there's a big old butt. Well, there's a there's a, a very butt. shapely butt in Jaws, which is rated PG. There might even be a nipple. I'm not entirely sure, but you could have nudity back then. I'd fuck an orangutan if she shaved it. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, Peter Pan, Mary, getting down with three feet, everybody. Oh my God, Kelly, so inappropriate. What are you talking about? It's the it's the 21st century. Anything's possible. It's the age of Aquarius, man. Uh, I, 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 I do want to get so uh, obviously there were some very um th- there was a lot of uh, message oriented stuff in this movie. I mean that's kind of a point of the the Planet of the Apes as a series. Uh, thing is, how did did you feel that there was anything? Th- did any of that work for you? I should say any of the message stuff? Yeah, yeah. Not really. I mean, cause I, I think okay, because I, I do think it's a little heavy handed. He's trying to go for this story about tolerance and. I, I don't know if he wants to sub in racism or whatever, but there's all this stuff about... The open uh, stuff. Did you know that? Um, like well, I can kind of imagine, because back then it was a much more charged subject, but it, I do think that's kind of what's going on here, and I... Uh, but in the... I, go ahead. Well, it was a little too heavy-handed for it to work for me. Okay, so in the fourth one, mm-hmm. he... Or no, Caesar's revolting, and he has he tells the black dude, "I think you of all people should understand." So they just like spell it out that much. So how at least in this, the black chick's the back of the crowd, shouting, "What if they come back?" Remember that one? You know, it's, when you say 1968 was Planet of the Apes, uh, 1968 was Night of the Living Dead, and Night of the Living Dead was hugely politically charged without calling attention to it and without being uh, not politically charged, racially charged, without calling attention to the fact that the protagonist was a black dude and without it being heavy handed. Uh, that's amazing to me that George Romero did that in 68. Well, the first Planet of the Apes, they had like an ape church. And in the second one, the mutants worship the atom bomb. So that's kind of about <laughs> Eisenhower. Speaking of the atom bomb, Kelly, oh Bond, my god, what is this week's theory? Because it takes it takes a lot of uh, numbers huh? crunching, math. You might. say. I didn't think it did. I thought you could just whip it together if you had a generator and a dam and an ape <laughs> and a blender, six, you know, <laughs> sketchbook, stand mixer, a tank. Where they got all that? Never mind. Approach. It is where they couldn't trade their guns. Well, I guess you don't do that. But they couldn't just, like, raid. I don't know. Like, aren't there other camps of raiders? Oh, we'll find out in the next movie. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wand, what is this? About three by three? Three uses of math. Three best uses of math. Three uses of math you picked for the three by three, really. Interesting. All right. I'm not happy with mine. I'm looking Really? Nah. I think it's a good topic, but I whiffed. Here's how good a topic I think it is, Kelly Wand. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the week, as I was thinking about the topic, and as I was thinking, okay, you know, what order are we going to go in, and whose turn is it next? I kept thinking this was Dingus's topic. Wow, that's that. Over the course it was of the week, that good. Yeah, I was like, no, Kelly, Kelly oh, Wand would flattering thing you've ever said. Yeah, I was totally like, right, <laughs> you know, Dingus is making us do math. Wait a minute, was that Dingus is a good class, Kelly. I hope we should fire Kelly. Kill her. <laughs> So, uh, let's see, it's my 3 by 3 next week, so I'll be starting this out um, by telling you my number three favorite use of math in a movie. I mostly picked this for you, because you're our math whiz. I do know a lot about math, and actually, I should point out up front, 
I might be disqualifying some of the answers because unless it involves so so the definition of math is oh, anything God. where you <laughs> yes Tom, there's no such thing as math there's there's uh, infinite maths and so there's no definition of Tom math. majored in math at Harvard the definition of math is anything where you add subtract multiply or divide good Jesus wait what <laughs> otherwise you it otherwise it's geography no I didn't look it up geography. is that true though I was kind of thinking what's math because I had some things that I was like well is that physics is that math is you mean it's supposed to like a number yeah so I don't I don't it, know no, I, actually that's not the dumbest thing I tried to do stuff that involves let me see do all mine work yeah all of mine involve adding subtracting division or uh, none of them involve like calculus or anything too I don't even think there's fractions in many no there's a fraction in one of them I don't know every number though they arrived at well, we'll see. Well, so here we go. So, actually, and I'm just kidding. I have no plans to arbitrate what is and isn't math because... I liked your definition. I think Euclid put it exactly that way. Who? Uh, anyway, number three pick. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go back and look at these. I really wanted to. So I might need Dingus's help because I know he's going to know oh, well, uh, at least all, our math all but one of these scenes. But my number three pick is uh, Matty Ross negotiating with hmm, a lawyer at the beginning of True Grit, where uh, she's a young girl, she comes in, you know, her father's been murdered, and I'm talking, of course, about the Coen Brothers one from 2011, 2010, whatever. Not the chick from Alone in the Dark doing it? Not the early uh, John Wayne one. Not watching her, her watching John Wayne do the same scene. Right, exactly. This is uh, this is Haley Steinfeld uh, going in and giving this lawyer character the what for by doing some crazy math on him and doing it with confidence and with grit. Uh, real so, grit or bullshit uh, grit? No, it, with actual grit. You know what? You like when girls do anything, which I'm kind of with you on to an extent. But like, we know you're, you know, it's like I'm disgusted by Edge of Tomorrow because Emily Blunt did get right over more. <laughs> so it's like. If a girl, did, if a guy, had, if Cody McAfee had done the same scene you're talking about in Eight Makeup, you would have gone, fucking stupid <laughs> Charles Portis novel. Uh, let's see. Well, you're right about that. I probably would Wait, what? Why would he be in Eight Makeup, and why would he be cast in a Charles Portis novel? See, you wouldn't be enjoying his acting. You'd be asking <laughs> these idiotic questions. Uh, I do enjoy movies, Kelly Wan, that have strong female uh, roles in them. Absolutely. You're absolutely right there. And True Grit definitely qualifies for that. Thing is, can you recall, there, there's math in that, right? Like she's adding up the yeah. number, the, the value of the ponies, and uh, right, Dingus, back me up on this. Yeah, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, that's totally what's going on in that. But I didn't uh, follow the numbers myself in that scene. I don't, I don't remember the actual scene because I avoided uh, things relating to money with my maths. Ooh, but, um, it's also yeah. had to do with the number of ponies too, Dingus. There's no ooh, yeah, but yeah, but you're right that she totally had control <laughs> of all of all of the mathematics in that scene, and there was addition and subtraction, I think, in that scene. There might have even been multiplication, but I'm no calculus. No calculus. I don't Tom, what's your definition of calculus? Calculus is math that requires a calculator. Dun dun dun. Oh. Dingus, what is your number three favorite use of math in a movie? Oh, and by the way, I just want to say it's an important thing because, uh, like, this is early on. It is part of the character development for Maddie Ross's character, uh, how, how tough, competent, uncompromising, and determined she is. Uh, and I love that it's a, it's a, and that this, I'm not, I'm using this word literally, but that it's a girl using math, which is kind of an issue. It's, you know, traditionally, and this is even an issue today, I think, uh, girls aren't encouraged 
to, to follow things like math and the sciences as much. And I imagine that's changing a lot, but I love that maybe Maddie Ross was, could be like a poster child for why girls should also consider following traditionally male uh, courses of study like math and science. But if they're going to shoot a gun, don't stand in front of the rattlesnake nest. That is a good point. Or at least have Jeff Bridges to carry you back to the city if you get Well, then you lose your horse. Yeah, well, it then happens. Oh, Blackie. Minus but one horse. It's not changing enough, though, because I just read an article about this, about how uh, how girls who like score in a certain percentile mm-hmm. in their math and science classes, and yet they won't go into those fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it still needs to change more. I totally agree with you on that. Wait, why is that? Because your girlfriend works for NASA. So yeah, well, I you know it's it's not clear. I mean, part of it is the the way girls are treated in school and the and the sort of the culture of encouraged. Well, there's also sort of that whole beauty culture that's that's constantly thrust upon them. I mean, I don't know why, why the what the reason is, and they're sort of the research is trying to figure that out, but it still isn't changing enough. I think more girls should watch True Grit. Yes. Is Maddie Ross a realistic portrayal of a young girl in the Old West? Like, was it that one Maddie Ross who's just like fierce, like don't fuck her on the ponies? Or do you uh, think it's just revisionist fantasy? I think it is fiction, but that doesn't mean it's but not it's, true. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally right. Dingus, what is your n- number three favorite use of math in a movie? Oh, right, my, maybe my, you have a line for us. Mine is utterly silly. Here's a little bit of dialogue from it. Uh-oh. Uh, there was like an 8% chance. Who taught you oh. math? That even has the word math in the title, in the, in the line, in the dialogue. I yeah. don't know what it is. Yes, you do, Kelly Wand. Kelly acting's too. He always tries to trick with his acting. Imagine that I shoot someone with a small gun I've hidden underneath my balls. <laughs> um, be more specific. What caliber? <laughs> I, I, I mangled the line, but it's a reference. I don't uh, think I've seen it. Oh, you've got it. You know, In Bruges? Have you not seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So this, this is when uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, decides to play Russian roulette. During the interrogation scene to see with the orderly who's uh, tried to take them hostage, and he's being all tough guy, and he does uh, Russian roulette, and he spins the chamber, and he shoots him, and Spellcomer says, "Did you have a live round in there?" And he's like, "Yeah, there was like an eight percent chance." <laughs> he's like, "Who taught you math?" And so uh, it's just uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s un- inability to figure out the percentages in uh, Russian roulette. God, it is so astonishing to think back, like th- that movie, the points in their careers, like the different trajectories that Robert Downey Jr. and poor Val Kilmer have gone on since right. then. Right. Gruber. Oh. It's good. I know, but he's in so many awful things and he's so bloated and, and, and just uninterested in so many of the movies that he's in. Val Kilmer, I mean. Um, whereas Robert Downey Jr., I, oh my God. I, I, it kind of makes me sad to think about that because they were so good in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, they've really worked beautifully. And why didn't he get Val in on Iron Man if they both worked together, him and Shane Black? Who would Val have played? Um, what's his face? Guy Pierce's friend. He could have played Pepper Potts. It's a very different take, Dingus. We'll consider that. <laughs> now she's a fire mage, huh? <laughs> Kelly Wan, what is your number three favorite use of math in a movie? I like in the movie Roddy Dangerfield's Back to School, um, where like the snobby DA, wait, Dean, which one's college, Tom? 
That's the AD, the assistant director. It's the guy who hate, he's having sex with. He stole the uh, dean's girlfriend, like the English poetry teacher. I think it's Sally Kellerman. And uh, so, the, like, the snobby guy is going to try and trip him up on an economics question. So he's all, okay, it's 20-part question and 80 parts. And uh, he asks, like, all these things about totalitarianism being communism disguised. So far, not math, but go on. I was doing a... They came together. So you like that. Totalitarianism and communism are not math, Kelly Wand. Oh, that's a good point. And so then it just goes on and on for hours, and then the music's all, oh, it's going to happen, and then Rodney Dangerfield's all, four? And then they go... It's all, yeah. <laughs> and he has to sit down. So that's the triumphant moment. Come on, okay, four. That, that works. I used to say two to everything in my algebra class in school, and then one time I zoned out, and they were like, Kelly, what is it? Because it was too, one time. It was like an exciting moment. Did you rise to the occasion? Did they carry you around like in the movie Rudy? <laughs> no, we're off immediately. <laughs> uh, my number two favorite use of math in a movie is... Uh, <laughs> uh, so that, Four? Let, let me see, Kelly Wand, if I, if I can evoke this for you. you. This might be too obscure. Uh, imagine in white chalk written on a dashboard the numbers uh, 218. Is that doing uh, for you or is that too obscure? A dashboard. Not yeah, that, that won't do it because it's so vivid to me. So, and, and partly because I, they mentioned it in the novelization of this movie, which I read as a kid. Uh, so William Friedkin's Sorcerer uh, <laughs> with these trucks where they have to drive these trucks through the jungle to transport nitroglycerin to an oil fire. And they need that. Well, it's actually dynamite. That all the nitroglycerin is bled out of it. It's unstable. If it shakes up too much, it'll blow up. So they have to put it in the back of these big old trucks filled with sand. And they ride. They drive it over this treacherous territory. They have to take it 218 miles to an oil fire. So they build the trucks at the site where the dynamite is in, and they get these four desperate uh, – they're all men from uh, – is it expatriates when you are from somewhere else? Or is that when you've left? Yeah. So there are these four men who have uh, – actually five – who have mysterious backgrounds, and they've all sort of washed up in this fictitious South American oil town. Uh, and these four, these four men, five men, turns out to be four, uh, are going to drive these trucks to the natural center. It's 218 miles away. So when they're putting the trucks together and they're building them, at one point they write on the dashboard 218 above the odometer, and they reset the odometer so they know how close they're getting. Um, And terrible things happen on the way, of course. Both of the trucks don't make it. Spoiler. But what happens is that eventually it's down to Roy Scheider and this one assassin character who actually murdered one of the other men to get a, a seat driving one of the trucks. And they're, uh, you know, they're near the end of the journey and they get waylaid by, uh, revolutionaries, by bandits. Uh, and the, the assassin guy gets shot and Roy Scheider, uh, is, is the only one left and he's driving the trucks with the assassin guy bleeding to death on the floor of the truck over the last few miles. And he starts hallucinating. You know, they've been at this for so long and it's been just so stressful uh, that he starts having flashbacks to what brought him there. He's hearing the bleeding assassin laughing at him, even though the guy has long been dead. Uh, the terrain leaves this treacherous jungle and enters this weird moon-like desert. Uh, and he's clearly flipping out. Uh, he has completely lost it, uh, which 
often happens in William Friedkin movies to the hero. But what happens at one point is the truck dies and he thinks he has completely failed. But he looks down at that one white 218 written on the dashboard in chalk and he looks down a little bit further, farther, and he sees the odometer says 216.7. And in that one moment of just complete, he's completely lost it. He's lost his sanity. He has failed. He he realizes he is so close to his objective that he goes around. You don't see this. You you see him emerging from the darkness, carrying the box of nitroglycerin in his arms, walking out of the darkness into the the glow of the flame from this oil fire. But it's this one little mathematical instance in the middle of him completely losing his mind at the end of Sorcerer. Um, so I remember it too from the books because in the books there was a subplot where the books plural oh no books sorry in the book there was a subplot where they wrote the distance in kilometers instead of miles or vice versa so that the trucks at the end end up the last one ends up I think running out of gas because they screwed up the metric system I think what I know yeah wait was that the original script idea I don't know if it was from I don't who wrote the I want to, well, it's, it's from a, it's from a French movie from like 1947. Uh, and, and I, William Goldman might have done the adaptation. I could be wrong about that. Uh, he should have. I, would, I don't know who did the adaptation. If he had. Yeah. There's no way. He did Marathon. You're getting your Roy Scheider's mixed up. Ah, uh, that's very, very good point. Yeah. But you don't, you don't remember that scene of seeing the two, I do, yeah. and then the two one six point seven. Yeah. Uh, and then he's, he long. carries the rest of it in his arms. Yeah. But then, as your Skype avatar attributes. Uh, I don't know. The listeners cannot see my Skype avatar, Kelly. What is it? How would you describe it? I don't know. I'm probably wrong. I think it's mine, actually. Um, well, if you don't want to tell the listeners, then let's go over to Dingus. Isn't it the hitman who shows up? At the... I didn't want to spoil it. Oh, my avatar is the sunglasses guy from Burnt Offerings. Yeah. I, I just now remembered that I mentioned okay. last week. I wanted to. Thought he was the hitman. Okay, never mind. No, well, that's the the guy at the end. It's and it's his buddy. It's the guy who is, who helps him escape oh. from New York in in Sorcerer. The guy who betrays him and then leads the other bad guys to South America to kill him. Cobra. Yeah. Oh, Kelly Wand. What's your takeaway for that? Don't trust friend. Don't trust other expatriates. Which, by the way, you said. Is it is that whether you leave or you're from somewhere else or you leave somewhere else? I think those are both the same thing. So, but if you're if you live in a country and you're from, you're an expat. No, but there's there's a you're an expatriate, expatriate from America both ways. You mean if you're well, you mean if you're living in somewhere now? I think the, there is. And this isn't math, but I think there's something about the direction of travel. Like if you have, if you have left a country, you're an expatriate from it. If you're uh-huh. living in another country that that's not your own, yes, uh-huh. you're an expatriate. Yeah. Okay, well, what are you if you're living in your own country then? You're a patriot. An airplane. <laughs> Wait, you're a patriot. You know what it is? I think uh, immigrant. Maybe that's the tough one. Isn't isn't there a variant of like if you you emigrate or you immigrate? See what I'm saying? Like you emigrate out of a country, but you immigrate into a country. Yeah. Yeah. Caesar. <laughs> Was an ex apriot. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, I can't let this go by. Um, 
Liam Goldman wrote – he did indeed do the adaptation, but he wrote the novel as well of Marathon Man. Oh, my God. Oh, I oh Marathon Man. But not Sorcerer. Yeah, that was just – No, no. He had nothing to do with Sorcerer, but he wrote the novel and the screenplay. Just, I think it's really doing no, – maybe it's like an uncredited thing. It's possible, but I do. Wait, you can let that go by? No, because I know little things, and I wanted to say one little thing I knew, because you're like, I think he oh, adapted he Marathon that? Man. I'm like, yeah, he also wrote the novel, so he adapted his own. Oh, I thought you left it up one, guys. <laughs> no, no, I just know that. I'm about to blow your mind. Just like Hold Prince on. Pride and Magic. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the writer, f- the so Sorcerer is based on the French movie, but the guy who did the screenplay for um, William Friedkin also did the screenplay for Wild Bunch. He's uncredited for War Games. What? And, uh, uh, that's and a one. He, Robocop 2 and Solar Babies. Damn. Uh, <sighs> he got Alzheimer's. Waylon Green, ladies and gentlemen. Shit. Dingus, what's your number two favorite use of math in a movie? That's a bummer. All right. So uh, my number two use of math in a movie is kind of uh, – it's a tiny little scene in this movie. It's a movie I really love, and, and I brought it up uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I watched it then, and when Kelly Wan brought up uh, a favorite math scene in a movie, it reminded me of this. And, and it reminded me of this. I'm going to scoop my number one. You're such a jerk. I'm really not. Believe you me. really are. You're totally I'm, a jerk. Come on. Close. You guys need to get a room. <sighs> I promise He's going to pick won't. my number one pick. I knew he was going to do this. I was even going to maybe make it number two so that he wouldn't scoop me. Oh, so um, I didn't is, know. You couldn't be far. This is not even close to your You're like Caesar and he's shooting you. Oh, good. Okay. Um, uh, the reason I pick it is because I was terrible in math when I was when I was in school. I, I just I just had no patience for it. I try. I mean, I tried and tried, and I just wasn't any good at it. And it wasn't until I started to teach. Um, kids when I, when I had a job as a substitute teacher and more importantly as a paraprofessional, which was this like assistant helping kids with disabilities learn algebra that I really started to understand math because sometimes it's when you have to teach something that you learn, that you actually learn it for yourself. When you're actually tasked with the, with the, with the problem of how do I teach this to a kid who can't understand it? that you actually start to understand it. And that's when, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was like, oh, now I get algebra. I finally get it. Uh, and now as, as, a, as an adult who does a fair amount of substitute teaching for math classes, I can get a lot of those concepts right away, even when the teacher leaves poor lesson plans, and I can teach a lot of those concepts. But even when I can't, there's usually a kid in the class who knows it who is going to help me along. Uh, and often if I'm open to what that kid's doing, that, that kid is going to help me like figure out how to run the lesson as I'm doing it. And the other kids in the class will just kind of joke and say, Hey, why doesn't he just teach it? And that's fine. I mean, that's cool. I lo- there are certain kids who grasp it right away and they can understand how to teach another kid. So there's this little moment in the movie big, and I doubt this is your number one, Tom. Well, it's not now. <laughs> Yeah, I was worried you were going somewhere else. I think I'm safe. <laughs> yeah, I think you're totally safe. There's this little moment in the movie Big, where uh, where Tom Hanks's character uh, as this uh, as this little kid who's been grown up into a man's body based on this ridiculous wish he makes uh, goes to this dinner party, and at the dinner party, the there all these adults are sitting around the table, and the guy at the end of the table is like, hey, I just saw a documentary about Christopher Columbus. And uh, Tom Hanks is like, yeah, he had four ships. And da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, you saw the documentary too. He's like, no, I just 
studied some of that stuff because that's what they're studying in fifth grade. And then the, at the, at the table, while they're sitting there, the, the guy at the head of the table, his son, who is in fifth grade or whatever, comes up to the table and says, Dad, I need help with my homework. And Dad's like, look, we're at dinner right now. And he, and the kid's like, Dad, I, you told me you'd help me with my algebra. And Tom Hanks is like, oh, I studied that too. Let me help. And he jumps up and he walks, you know, off with the kid and he goes, and, and then it cuts to this little tiny scene where Tom Hanks is saying like, all right, let's say Larry Bird is going to score 10 points in the first quarter. How many points is he going to score for the whole game? And the kid goes, uh, 40. And Tom Hanks goes, well, maybe. And then he teaches him about the structure of variables and how algebra works. But it's a very quick little scene. And I just love that little moment where this kid, who is not a kid anymore, but he's still a kid, teaches another kid about math because he's one of those kids in the class who can do it. But he's an adult, so that little kid will take what he has to say and listen to it. And I like, I really love that little scene. Sports analogies are how I taught Tom forensics. <laughs> Kelly Warren, speaking of forensics, what is your – oh, wait, no. Yeah. So whose turn is it? I, I know, it's here's Kelly. me at math. Kelly, no, Kelly's number two, so to speak. Kelly, what is your second favorite use of math in a movie? You know, I like geometry, but I hated trigonometry, like anything involving graph paper. Like the boxes are staying in the lines. You know what else involved graph paper back then? Making dungeons when you played D&D. Yeah, that's why I didn't like that. Yeah, why waste perfectly good graph paper in trigonometry, right? Just give me a fucking map. I'll buy it off a dwarf (laughs) for a can of keg of whatnot. (laughs) My number two is an easy one. See, sometimes they're just easy and I don't need to talk about them. They're just too obvious. These go to 11. That's math, right? It's a number. No, because it's 11th. Is it math, Dingus? Because he's saying, why don't you just do 10, but obviously to the dumb, 10's not... But what's the movie? Don't don't patronize me. (laughs) Patronize. Patronize? I thought it was App, Planet of the Apps. (laughs) No, this is a spinal tape, and... Ah. uh, all right, well, that's Kelly Wan's idea of math is the difference. You know, I guess the difference between 10 and 11, that's that's a mathematical uh That is certainly concept. math. That's yeah, I would agree. Well, I also gave you a free story about graph paper, so that's kind of like doing a good... My number one favorite use of math in a movie. <laughs> I almost changed it listening to Dingus talk about big to uh, a scene that's an ice storm, which I'm going to mention because nobody else is going to even think of this. But there's a great scene in Ice Storm when Elijah Wood and his little brother are, are doing homework, and Elijah Wood plays this uh, wigged-out kind of precocious child, and his little brother is a more nerdy, uh, maybe grounded kid. Actually, maybe not. They're, they're two weird little kids in the 70s. And the younger kid says to Elijah Wood, could you help me with my, my homework? And so Elijah Wood, who's a really bright guy, goes over and looks at the 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 textbook and he starts expounding about the philosophy of math and he starts trying to teach this kid these various principles and he then pauses to take a breath and he says does that make sense and the little kid just kind of looks at him really pitifully and he says I just need help with my homework (laughs) (laughs) that's great but that's not my number one pick because it's not. It may not even be math. It could have been science or geography. My number one pick is a scene that Dingus has mentioned before that we've talked about before. A fellow named J.C. Chandor wrote an amazing movie called Mar- Margin Call, which you would think is about a lot of mathy stuff because it's about 
the collapse of a financial institution, a lending institution, and it's all this, you know, you think if you're going to watch a movie about this, there's going to be a lot of math. The, the beauty of Margin Call, one of the many beautiful things about Margin Call, is it's not a technical movie. It's a flat-out thriller, and they avoid any sticky math talk. And they even do this great thing where anytime you have like a movie about science or something, you have to bring in a character who doesn't really know it so that the characters can explain it to him. And it normally feels cheap, and you know they're doing that just because you're in the audience and someone has to explain it. The way they do it in this movie, I love this take on it, where Jeremy Irons comes in as the head of the company. And he's like, you know what? I didn't get here because I know a lot about math, so you're just going to have to tell me in basic language what is going on. Um, But there is one scene where a character does bust out some serious math skills. And the beauty of this scene is that he is explaining why he is leaving the world of finance and why he is not going to help them and why he uh, why he has been beaten down by it. And he uses math to explain that when he was working as an engineer and he built a bridge, he, he mathematically explains the number of man hours that he saved people for their commute so that they could spend more time with their home, with their families. He uses math to justify working on infrastructure, on building a bridge, uh, and why that's so much more meaningful to him than using math to make money at a lending institution. Uh, and I love that Stanley Tucci monologue. Uh, Stanley Tucci, by the way, star of um, Transformers Age of Extinction. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you were going to scoop me on that, Dingus. Uh, no, that was my, one of my runners-up, but I love that moment where he's – I love that bridge moment. It's so yeah. wonderful. Yeah. A lot of math there. Yeah. Like, like I, I've never – it just never occurred to me. Like, you know, sometimes when somebody is in, in their movie, there's like a bomb countdown, and they say something like, we only have, you know, 30 seconds to disarm the bomb. And if you're if you're a little bored and you got nothing else to do, you might find yourself counting along to see if they're really going <laughs> to be thirty seconds or if there's still going to be like another minute and a half in the movie. I've never done this because I really like this scene, but I've considered taking a pen and paper to Stanley Tucci's monologue to check his work, yeah, to see if he's got it right. I don't know. I trust that J.C. Chandor wouldn't lead us astray like that. Um, Wait, you said you were tempted to do that? Yeah, I'm tempted to. You couldn't do it, can you? I would use a calculator. Oh, that's a good point. I might have to ask Siri certain questions. What about an abacus? How do I give PR? <laughs> Kelly Wand is referencing oh. the sex tape trailer. You were obviously excited about that movie, Kelly Wand. Mm, and that line. Dingus, what is your number two? What number one? Dingus, what is your favorite use of math in a movie? Dog right, tape. Serious. Because oh. it's the dog star. Okay, go on, Dingus. I'm sorry. Uh, it's cool. I don't know what dogs hate serious means, but that's cool. What is that from? Well, cause he's attacking the Siri user. You would think dogs would like serious because it's the dog star. It's the dog star. Ke- Kelly Wand, I'm gonna paraphrase the super hot redhead from Game of Thrones when I say, you know nothing, Kelly Wand. Well, see what I did there? You. See what I did there? What do you yeah, think of that? Yeah. I feel pretty dumb. <laughs> and you look pretty red. But wait. They call her at one point, someone calls, I I can't say this. Can I say this on this podcast? Someone at one point calls her, it's terrible to say this. Can I say this? I'll just bleep it out. At one point in Game of Thrones, someone calls that awesome chick a, a ginger minge. You're gonna bleep that? I don't know, shouldn't I? It sounds hot to me. 
I, don't, I, so think, that, I think what I just said could get me arrested in Britain. Shouldn't she just be called a ginge then? I guess if you, if if any of the Avengers they can say Quim, I think that that's okay. That's right, Dingus. I'm. I beg your pardon. Oh my God, Dingus. I never. Uh, why? Why I never? You have to put mewing with it though to really get the full effect. Uh, <laughs> Iron Man said pussy to a little kid. Whoa, whoa, wait. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Since I got you to say mewling, Tom, I'll just say thank you. I don't know. Uh, Did I just get close that we want? Yeah. I don't know how, but I'll figure it <laughs> out. I, I, I interrogated you, is what just happened. Oh, very good. Yeah, you were playing the Scarlett Johansson role. Very nice, Dingus. Dingus, your your prize for successfully interrogating me is you now get to tell us your favorite use of math in a movie. Oh, uh, that was a close one. All right. <laughs> Here's a bit of dialogue from it. Uh, naturally, it's 13. Why 13? It comes after 12, hon. That sounds like my final tap point you guys laughed at. That almost it's, sounds uh, like something from Raising Arizona. Yeah, it sounds uh, funny. I was so happy that Kelly Wand mentioned 11 because the, the little bit of dialogue that I like from this, this doesn't relate to the math and the rest of the movie, is naturally 13. Why 13? And then he says, it comes after 12, huh? Um, the, the, uh, the better bit of dialogue about math, and this movie is shot through with math. I just watched it again today, and I'm just crazy about this movie. Uh, here's, the, here's the better bit of math from this particular movie. Okay, um, Houston, check me. I've completed these gimbal conversions, but um, I need to double-check on the arithmetic. Armageddon? Uh, Tom? How dare you? That was a... That, oh, I thought, okay, I guess you didn't watch that today. Fuck's a gimbal. That totally sounds like something from Armageddon, though. It's yeah. not... It's from uh, my. It's a lot of science. It's from something that makes that uh, when I watch margin, I often compare this to margin or compare margin call to this movie uh, because uh, as as many things about this director as I don't like, this movie is spot on. This is Apollo thirteen, and um, this movie is all about basically making guys doing math seem exciting and thrilling and sexy. Uh, well, sexy is the wrong word. It's just a, I'd say suspenseful, but you know. What'd you say? I say I would have said suspenseful. Little people's lives hinge on their yeah, suspense. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, Kelly. Kelly, uh, uh, suspenseful is a much better word. I I, I totally agree with you. If it expands your radican to say sexy. (laughs) Well, I just love I love this movie so much, and I was wondering if it if it holds up because I haven't seen it in probably I don't know maybe a decade I don't know it's pretty Tom Hanks heavy there math boy I know I I chose two Tom Hanks movies Uh, I I couldn't get Forrest Gump on the list or I would have he's a mathematician uh, but the the way that that math is shown in this movie and specifically and I think I'm going to include a screenshot of them like he's what's what's amazing is 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 how immediate it is because they ha- they have to do equations to figure out uh, the these uh, gimbal conversions and uh, the amount of oxygen that they're using and they have to do it in real time in a terribly scary and um, 
tense situation. And you see them like working on tablets and comparing their numbers against each other. And then that moment where Tom Hanks says, okay, Houston, check me. I've got these gimmick conversions. I need you to check my arithmetic. And they're like, all right, send us your numbers and we'll check your arithmetic. And the way Ron Howard shoots it, you see the, all these dudes just working on arithmetic. And then, and then later on, you have Lauren Dean, who's just playing an amazing character. And, and he does all of these conversions about the amount of amps they're going to need because who, you have, a, who, who are you saying? His, his, it's Lauren Dean. Who is that? Uh, he, he's an actor. He's been uh, in a, in a ton, of, ton of stuff. You okay. haven't seen him in a long time, but um, I, I can't remember what he was most famous for. Uh, he was famous. He was in this movie with Dustin Hoffman as a kid, but I can't remember what it is. But uh, but it, but Lauren Dean is in it, um, and he's and he's he's sort of the nace, He's the guy saying, "Look, this is all about energy. We have to get down to twelve amps. Th- these are the numbers that show you that how to get down to twelve amps. If we don't get down to twelve amps, they're just not going to get here. If they're not going to have enough energy to get back into the atmosphere, and that's that. And so that's what brings Gary Sinise back into the simulator, so that they get back down to twelve amps." And it's all mathematics. It's all them working through the equations to get them down to the right amount of amps to get the to get the lem and to get, get eventually get the astronauts back into the atmosphere. And I just love the way Ron Howard uh, structures this movie around mathematics because it, it, unlike something like Beautiful Mind, which I think is just terrible and and just this sort of glib use of uh, a mathematical genius. Uh, the the use and and suspense as Kelly puts it, which I think is the best word rather than thrilling. Um, the use of mathematics is so suspenseful in this, and and it's just surprising to watch a movie and watch guys doing calculations and feel excited about it. Um, so I, I Apollo thirteen hands down my favorite use of math in a movie. That's a great one. Well, they're trying to save their friends, so yeah, and they're no trying to stake. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a, an incredible amount of at stake. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a very much a rah rah movie about the space program, but uh, but it's so well crafted. I mean, Apollo 13 is so well put together. I love that movie. I think it's way more intuitive though to have a movie about guys that have to drill 800 meters into an asteroid because the math uh. is just so much easier. You can have Ben Affleck saying 750 meters, you know, 783 meters. 792 meters. I mean, that's suspenseful. Just me doing it right now, you can feel the suspense. Okay, that's my number one. Are you sure it's <laughs> meters? I thought it was feet. Oh, God, what did I do? I went all Euro on you guys. I apologize for just that. Just like the book for Sorcerer. And just like NASA throwing uh, Mars rovers up there. Oh, my gosh, that was terrible. <laughs> throwing them. Uh, Kelly Wan, what do the readers have for us? <laughs> throwing them. Wait, does Kelly get to give his number one? No, I'm going with Armageddon. Oh, wait, I'm math. sorry, did we skip you? Kelly, what's your favorite use of math in a movie? I Armageddon, what well, you just said, when Ben Paflex is that. <laughs> but what did you have before I mentioned that, out of curiosity? Uh, I had Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> because the other eight didn't work. Yeah, that was interesting to me. All right, what do the readers have? All right, see. Is that really your number one? Yeah, but it's not that good. No, Armageddon, he picked Armageddon. I picked Armageddon. Good Lord. Put me down for Armageddon. Uh, by the way, this is far and away. Oh wait, maybe I miscounted. No, I didn't. I wished I had. Use your math. Come on. <sighs> far and away, the most copious reader response ever. Well, let's get to it. Let's hear what they have. Look forward. That's to another it. reason I pick Armageddon. Edward Jekyll writes, "Ed here. It's been a long time since I've submitted some three by three. Oh, I don't have time to figure out three picks. Oh, don't worry, we got my eyes on 
I felt like submitting something, so here's my favorite use of math that immediately popped in my head when Kelly mentioned the topic. Delmar O'Donnell, Tim Blake Nelson, using math to figure out how old he would be if he, John Turturro, and George Clooney are calling. <laughs> <laughs> no brother or art, though. That's a good one. That's a great one. After Turturro figures out he'd be 84 with 50 years, he thinks will be tacked onto his sentence. He and Clooney start yelling at each other while Tim Blake Nelson's in the background, clearly thinking hard. After about a full minute, he happily proclaims, well, I'll only be 82, while smiling at them both, clearly pleased. Thanks, as always, for the podcast. What's the rule? Do I edit these? There's tons of them. Just read. The rule Kelly wants you're, is you're, you're in three, three. Yeah. Oh, I don't like making decisions. Well, too bad. Damn you, listeners. We're a victim of our own success. Damn, damn you, dirty listeners. A victim of the listener's high interest in talking about math, I think is how I want to take away. Uh, Paul Weimer writes, Hi guys, my math tells me there's a 45.73% chance I'll be scooped on one of these. And there's really so many, huh? It's really a general. Number three, in Strange in the Fiction, Harold Crick, Will Ferrell's facility with sums and multiplications of character traits established early and then his inability to do it's an indicator of the pressure he feels as the events of the movie unfold. Because he's an IRS auditor, isn't he? He is, and Maggie Gyllenhaal's a baker. Wait, so her, so Emma Thompson's book is about an IRS auditor and a baker? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Number two in Flash Gordon. Ah, Flash Gordon, Tom. The Rich Man Star Wars. Dr. Zarkov, Topol, uses his knowledge of prime numbers to crucially get him and his companions through a locked door in Ming's palace. Did you think the Sam Jones joke in Ted worked? I didn't see that part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I kind of did. I did, too. That was one of my favorite things about Ted, actually. Yeah. But it wasn't as funny as every CNN they came together. Paul Weimer's number one, except for the waiter part. In Goodwill Hunting, the titular Matt Damon character comes to the attention of the MIT faculty... You know what? I kind of I'm bummed that he doesn't have quotes on these. I suddenly I want math quotes. Is that does that go against everything I was whining about five seconds ago? When as a janitor he solves overnight a complex problem meant for the students to work on all year. Is that the Apple one? Best regards, Paul Weimer. Sorry, Paul, I'm mangling everything. That's my brand. Sebastian Dunn. Keeping it short is requested. Did I say that? Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Look what happened, too. I said, keep it short. Well, all right. It's going pretty well, except for me reading it. Two picks from Once Upon a Time in the West. Ah, see? Sebastian Dunn knows what's up. Number one, Harmonica and the Three Gunmen at the beginning, where you have the exact number of horses needed to convey their party from the train station. The answer is one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That is a great moment. That is a great movie. Do you like And that's the best opening to any movie. I think I do. I mean, it's one of those things that I... I, I know there's some schmaltzy dumbness in it. In Once Upon a Time in the West? Yeah. I don't know. Is it schmaltzy, really? I mean, they, they, I think of it more as this kind of Italian uh, fat, almost. So, like, it's just bloated and, and larger than it should be. Uh, it's not a very trim movie, is it? But yeah. no, I, I like it. The longer version's even better, actually. Like, I've seen, like, the full cut. And it's... You know, they also say that about Oliver Stone's uh, Alexander the Great biopic yeah. starring Colin Farrell. That can't be true. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven. 
Oh, I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking of both of them. Is, isn't, Wait, no, there's a Kingdom of Heaven cut that's fucking long. With Orlando Bloom, I think. Yeah, it's supposedly not terrible. I don't know. This is what people say. I don't know whether to believe them. Dingus, can you verify whether either, the, either of those is true? No. Okay. Number two, Harmonica Educating the Outlaw Cheyenne. Remember Jason Robards, Tom? On what you call thousands of thousands, millions, if you're still hanging the answer. See? Italians, Tom. Also, I'd like to know how many circumferences of Claudia Cardinal is that movie. Ooh. <laughs> she is the Mount Olympus of knobs. Huh. Okay, her or Bridget Bardot, Tom. Go. Young Bridget. Uh, which is the one in uh, Wicker Man? <laughs> Cheers, Rumpelstiltskin. P.S. Please don't mention my name on the podcast. People think I can read ahead. Did Paul Seymour really write that? No, the guy after Paul Weimer wrote all that. Oh, who was that? The Who made the Rumpelstiltskin? Sebastian Dunn. Sebastian, that was awesome. <laughs> See? It's like he read the Kroner. That was great. Arthur Giovannangeli writes, number three, Pi. will likely get scooped, but there's plenty of math in this movie. The movie does a really good job presenting its math in a manner that can be easily understood. Yeah, it does. Remember he's trying to explain the Bible code in the bar? Mm. Tom, did you just zone out when Mass talked about <laughs> those three mentions? Because <laughs> that's how I feel. Never mind. Number two, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Wow. Oh, yeah. I know. Do you remember that one? Oh, I thought of a way better one than my number one, which is uh, <laughs> Entitled Destination. Better than Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. I think I was phoning it in on that. But in Final Destination, there's like a part where he's like, wait, I was sitting in the seat, and then there, this happens, so therefore, and he says it, like he can, he just kind of assumes he knows what he's talking about. Never mind. Drive of the Vengeance, Bruce, and that's how I felt during this scene, too. Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson must get exactly Oh, my God. Oh, jeez. What? I was, it, like, it was, they were, like, rushing time, and then they had No, like, it's that stupid puzzle I hate Put out the water using three and five gallon jugs in order to prevent a bomb from going off in a park. I hate those two. And that's one of those puzzles you've read in, you know, like actual math problems or, hey, can you figure out these wacky riddles? I hate those stupid things, those little brain teaser things. I hate well, it's that. weird because the guy's trying to get revenge on John McClane, who's not exactly a math genius. So does the guy just want the bomb to go off? That's like those stupid bits in a movie where someone comes across... You know, where someone has to, uh, and I'm going to, I don't You're right, though, because the audience is supposed to go, oh, yeah, three and five gallon jugs. Like, right. Exactly. But, and, and, and I've seen it recently in something that I don't want to talk about, but this whole stupid thing about what if you have a rabbit and a, a uh, bag yeah. of, of alfalfa and a wolf and the farmer has to carry it across in a boat. No, but everybody's heard in the office stupid too. thing, and every, and it's funny in the office because everybody's heard it. Nobody knows right. it, and and to portray it as something the audience is going to think is cool, you're you're stupid. Everybody knows that stupid thing, and nobody likes it. So it's the same with those stupid jugs in the Die Hard movie. I hate that. Okay, sorry. What about Raquel Welch's? Who's? Uh, I'm more partial to Jacqueline Bissett's from the movie The Deep. Oh yeah, we to go deep. Um, I'm sorry. Anyway, what was this Arthur Giovanginelli who I just rudely interrupted? 
Oh, number one, Once Upon a Time in the West, when Harmonica first appears, he asks Frank's three henchmen if they brought a horse for him. The three men look at their three horses on their short one. Harmonica says they brought two too many. <laughs> See, when listeners all agree on something. Well, but the thing is, there, for so every, for, there are moments like that in Once Upon a Time in the West, but for every great moment like that, there's a bunch of long stuff from when they didn't really know how to make great movies. No, the long stuff works for me. Well, wait, okay. you, now I've come, I'm saying what you said. No, you're just, so we're like a body switch movie, Kelly Wong, you and me. I'm Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I'm Justin Bateman. Runner up, Midnight Run. I'm Leslie Mann. Wait, did I dream that Dingus watched Midnight Run and it said it didn't hold up for him? Yes. Huh. Dingus, it was another example of Dingus not knowing when, when too far is a little too far. Just like when he was laughing at poor Cody Smith McPhee in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, it was really rude of him in that theater to do that to all those audience members who were into the movie. You can say I'm that again. I'll say. He hates kids. You can say that again. Hey, Tom. Thanks. Sir. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing, Kelly Wan. Trying to reference. Here's the thing. I would rather have you tell me about scenes in They Came Together than actually have seen it. You didn't like the Ben Franklin? Or the- nope, but I like you talking about it. <laughs> Arthur Giovanni and Jelly's runner-up is Midnight Run, as I mentioned. Last week was the final straw after the 69,723rd time this was mentioned. All numbers are approximations. I broke down and watched it. See, Dingus? You jarred something loose, Tiger. Jack Walsh has one scene in which he demonstrates he might not have mastered the art of counting, an essential part of math, when he tells Jonathan Mardukas, a name that no longer means shit to Dingus, that he has two words for shut the fuck up. I remember that line. Come on, Dingus, that's good. That didn't hold up, Dennis Farina. Okay. Seriously, though, I'm really glad your podcast got me to see this. Tom, I mean, Dingus. That's not Dennis Farina's line. It's not? Nope. It's De Niro? Whatever, nerd. <laughs> Ladnar Savad writes the Yeah, Destiny. I like this guy. I love that name. Awesome. I hope I'm saying it right. There's Dude. no wrong way to say that name. Yeah. Ladnar Savad. I agree. We have the coolest name named listeners, as they're known in MMOs. <laughs> the dulcet musical toads of Kelly Watt and Sparby submit something for this 3x3. Oh, dulcet, Tom. You don't get called that. I do not. Your voice is reedy. <laughs> oh, that's... There, I said it. It's been five years. Time to let that elephant out of the room. Wait, back into the room? <laughs> let that elephant out of the room. Yeah, that elephant's stuck in the room. I gotta put him Let him out. Let him out of the room. White elephant in the room. <laughs> and then repair the, the room. Door. Repair the barn door afterwards. Gonna need a bigger room. Uh, my initial response was math og before breaking nearby glass bottle off in my ear. After carefully, that's called my dulcet tones. After carefully removing the shards of glass, I remember one particular entry full of horror for the math phobic like myself. 1997's The Cube was one of those. This looks cool. I kind of like that movie, Tom. So it kind of jumps the shark. Doesn't it kind of like? Doesn't it start out good? With that from, from the director of Splice. Hmm. Oh, so you got. He's definitely. He likes because there's a cube in Splice too. Remember the one with the monsters in it. With the, the leech, the slug things that kill each other, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Is it a little, cube? Okay. Like, I think like this guy... Yeah. yeah, that director has a thing about cubes, the way... He just put a poor little Abigail Breslin in a cube as a ghost. Not really a cube, a, a house in a, in a like a separate dimension. You know what? I've spoiled this movie already. Never mind. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to see, I think it's called The Haunted... Haunted? Something like that. 
You see the dumbest shit. I really do. I know. And then you go, they came together. Boo. (laughs) I would love if if the haunted had a question mark after it. The haunted. (laughs) The cube guy. It's the way uh, J.J. Abrams fetishizes pits. Because he's got pits and Lost and uh, Super 8 and whatever the fuck else. Doesn't Star Trek have a pit in it? Oh, yeah, that pit in the uh, Klingon shit. What's the one? Who are the assholes in the second one? Romulans? Christopher? Don't ask me any stories. Tom, we're talking about Star Trek. (laughs) Since you're into science and math, I thought you would watch that (laughs) show a lot. The Cube was, back in my heyday, watching three or four movies in one sitting after sitting through a much low-budget uh, horror sci-fi direct, the cube is like a blast of face-melting acid to my TV-addled brain. That's how much you liked Cube, Tom. I think there's two or three of them as well. Uh, yeah, well, he cube calls it the cube. So for Ladnar Savad, there's only one true cube. Well, there really is. I mean, the sequel, the sequel. only sequel I, I recall, I've seen at least one cube sequel, and it was yeah, it's not part of one. Is it the one where it's the corporation and then? At the end, they find out they're in a cube or something. I remember some big spinning metal thing that, I don't know. Um, you know the best cube movie, Kelly Wand? The laser gate sequence in Resident Evil. No, I think you mean, <laughs> the best cube movie is called Hellraiser. Right? <laughs> Say it again. I, I, I remember I, you I said this to Ladnar Savad. You can you rewind say? the podcast if you didn't catch the specific Resident Evil. No, that tech doesn't exist yet because <laughs> the apocalypse. I can't hey. keep. I cannot keep it. Who can keep the names of Resident Evil movies straight? Nobody no one does. It's well, impossible. You like at least one more of them than I do. It's. The, it might even be the first. Name one. the one you like. Name the title of the. Oh book. sure, no, I like. Uh, so some of them are really bad, but my favorite one is Resident Evil. But the one that's really terrible is Resident Evil Stalagos. But Somewhere in the middle, Resident Evil is kind of okay. Tom, is an expatriate evil one that goes away from the country or into the circumference? What? Well, shut up, Juan. <laughs> huh, that's your answer. What were you going to say? I can't top that, Kelly Wand. You've, you've bested me. Let's go back to the listeners now. <laughs> Uh, and back to the cube. Ladnar Savad, in this film there are a few different uses of math by the math whiz in the film who claims she just hangs out with her friends at the beginning, but ultimately cracks the code of the cube. I don't remember saying that line. That's her character? She's a hanger-outer. And allows others to make their way through the death trap-filled hell ride mostly intact. Watching this for the first time, I learned it doesn't matter how good you are at math if you can't manage to use a door handle properly. And I would most certainly... There's no, they're not door handles. I guess they are handles. But you gotta do that math. I see what you're saying. I'm just agreeing with them. And I'd most certainly die first if I was thrown in a situation like this as my brain rejects math like an ape ass ejects. Kelly inserts something witty here from Don. Uh, apocalypse? Get it? Cause ape apocalypse. Tom? What do you think of that joke? Mm, I give it a five. Until apes take over the earth, Ladnar aka Randroid. Sorry this is so long, Kelly. I just want to hear you talk for a long time. Should I say just long enough? Tom, do you consider me just long enough? I consider you reedy. Wolfgang. <laughs> Wolfgang Schuster writes. Again, with the name. Yeah, oh, so awesome. Nice. Are you just critiquing their names or their content as well? Before you hear it. <laughs> Mainly the names. You're in charge of the content. Dingus and I will comment on the actual names. Yeah. Oh, I Okay. I will try and critique my best by simply reading it and then not saying anything. 
the only movie I could think of with a scene involving math I like is In the Navy, starring Abbott and Costello. See, I always assumed that the name of the title was just Abbott and Costello in the Navy. What? Is Wolfgang uh, Schuster 80 years old? Tom grumbles about old movies. Jesus. Uh-huh. It's, it's, Abbott it's, and Costello in the... Oh, my God. I watched all those. I was really into them when I was really little. Because I was... There was a lot of slapping going on. And there was like... Who's on first was a math joke. And they did like another math bit. Kelly Wan, is it true that some kids... Because they, they were kids for us were Abbott and Costello fans and other kids are Three Stooges. Could a child appreciate both equally? Or did you lean one way? No, you like one or the other, but I think think you're right. I like Laurel Hardy a lot. Whoa, I didn't even think of that. I thought, wow, okay, because I never got them. I I wasn't exposed to Buster Keaton. I was definitely an Abbott and Costello kid. The Three Stooges I was kind of into for a little bit. They kind of freaked me out, but mainly... Uh, Abbott and Costello were the ones that really great. Wait, if we show out, did you like the Marx Brothers? No, that's way too sophisticated for me as a kid. Duck suit. Yeah, like Marx Brothers, I think is legitimate. Like that, that's timeless, right? I'm being, I'm not being facetious. Marx Brothers stuff is timeless, right? Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you could say the same for Abbott and Costello, the Three Stooges. No, no, uh, Stooges is good. No, like Three Stooges made me nauseated. I mean, I, I love the Marx Brothers. He's talking about they're both Three good. Stooges are the Farrelly Brothers of their day. If you go back and if you watch so violent. in, in so 2057, people will watch American Pie and think, what? Really? No, they all look weird. Like Mo, they're all very distinct personalities. They're not as cool, but Laurel and Hardy are brilliant. Like, did you, you didn't see the music box? The I actually know very little Laurel and Hardy. I, I've made watch that one. It's been in the Nash. It's been, it's preserved. Well, we, don't, we don't have the technology to see those anymore, do we? How would I watch it? It was because I watched Abbott Costello first, and then I go, okay, so one of them's funny. I think I liked Abbott more than I was supposed to, because he had a funny voice, I thought. He was just all, just like cranky all the time. But like Laurel and Hardy were the first comedy duo where I go, oh, they're both funny. There's not a straight man. They've revolutionized black and white. I actually was young enough that I remember, I think, being really bummed out when it it was revealed to me, because I didn't know, I was too young, when it was revealed to me that they were dead. With it, Lou Costello was dead. I remember thinking, oh, yeah. being really bummed out by that as a kid. Well, yeah, and they made that biopic with Buddy Hackett as him, and oh, it's just like bummers. Like his kid drowns. He had like a depressing life. Plus, he's getting slapped for a living. That can't be cool. Plus, well paid. I think he was in Bad Health and pissed off all the time, like Babe Ruth. That's he's, just, he's like an angry fat dude. And Fatty Arbuckle. Sports reference. I don't sports again. I don't understand. In this scene, Costello proves this is a this is the bit I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I was gibbering about it, but he just it's the one he's talking about. In this scene, Costello proves that twenty eight divided by seven is thirteen. While the math's very inaccurate, it's still very funny. <laughs> have you ever seen that, Tom? It's really no, funny. but I want to look that up now because I have my own bit where I do bad math. Okay, look. <laughs> you know that what's the divided symbol called? Uh, a slash. No, no, the one where it's two. It's like a triangle minus the hypotenuse, and you put one number inside. Oh my God, what are you saying? I don't know what you're, the word. What? You know, when you divide shit. Yeah, slash. I can't believe there's so many fucking different symbols for divide all of a sudden. There's probably even words for them, too, these symbols. All right, anyway, it's like, so seven into eight is how many, Tom? One. Wait. 
<laughs> and you subtract seven from twenty-eight, you get twenty. Are you trying to do the bit for me? Because yeah, I'm doing it without the chalkboard. Kelly, one, leave it to the professionals. I will look this up on YouTube and I will check it out. Watch it because I remember the math, and it's like they do it two different ways, and it comes out the same way. He just like add, he adds thirteens, he counts all the threes and the ones, and then he divides it. Okay, whatever. It's a good bit, Tom. You should be yeah, proud. why don't you also tell us about some of your favorite Monty Python bits while you're at it? Just describe them for us. I'm sure it'll be Sign language parts in Planet of the Apes I'm going to give you right now. I'm doing one right now to the headset. That's your middle finger. That's not sign language. Oh, it's a heart. It's half a heart. You, you, you're paranoid. This podcast has ruined you. Jamie Cabrera writes... It might be Jaime, but because of Game of Thrones, now I see Jamie every time I see that spelling. Hello, all. Hope I'm in time this week. Har, here, Har. Har are my top three. That's me, by the way, being dumb. Not him. Top three uses of math in movies. I tried to stick to examples where the math advanced the plot, and it was not just incidental, Tom. Mr. Rules. He didn't call me out for that. Mr. Reedy voice. You added that. He didn't say that. Look, you, math you is about rules. Which part? No, I added the stupid voice. Uh, number three, Strange Than Fiction. A popular entry. Uh, the opening sequence with Will Ferrell's character going through his daily routine while counting everything is one of my favorite bits of film. Superimposed numbers along with voiceover. Fantastic. Number two, Contact. Jodie Foster's character recognizes the prime number sequence, Tom, and the message. See, it's how she knows they're aliens because they have the same math as us. Prime numbers are numbers that are divisible by three. You could be a regular Lou Costello. At Oxford, with that brain ears, uh, Mr. Franco. Uh, and then later in the movie, mathematical equations are used as a primer from which to decipher the alien message. Yeah, they don't really go over that, though. So you have to actually get into the math like Lou Costello did for it to count, if you ask me. Kelly Wan. Number one, Goodwill Hunting. I love to see where Matt Damon's character is caught easily solving an equation on the board that took the professors two years to solve. I don't remember that scene. Everyone keeps mentioning it. Tom, have you seen that movie since it came out? I've never seen that movie. Goodwill Hunting? I know. Weird, huh? How do you like them apples? It's a great scene. There's a great scene where he's messing around. I mean, because he's a janitor. And he's working in the hallway, and it's late at night at Harvard. And he's... And uh, and Stellan Skarsgård's like, hey, stop defacing that. He yells at the guy down the hall because he sees... Stellan Skarsgård is in Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. Why don't you guys tell me? I thought it was a Robin Williams movie, for Pete's sake. It is, and there's this whole sort of sad Judd Hirsch, what is it, normal, uh, uh, ordinary people kind of vibe between them. Uh, but still, and Skarsgård yells at him to, hey, hey, stop messing with that, and he gets really angry, and, and so Matt Damon runs off. And then there's this <laughs> little moment where uh, where Stellan Skarsgård looks at it and goes, oh, what the what the heck's going on here? Um, and he realizes that the guy is solving the equation. I like that image of, of Matt Damon scurrying away because Stellan Skarsgård yelled at him. Yep. They were told uh, by their friends, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, when they first wrote that script, to lose the spy angle. And then they won an Oscars for writing. Tom, did you know that in Burn After Reading, Brad Pitt read the script and then went to the Coens and went, uh, this character's pretty dumb. Uh, I don't know if I can do this. And they're all, no, you'll be fine. <laughs> True story. Uh, runners up, October Sky, Matthews to prove that the main characters could not have been responsible for starting a forest fire. Mission Impossible 4, Tom Cruise uses math. 
I didn't see that movie. Is that a fire, forest fire movie? As I call this. <laughs> October Sky is Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper. It's a great father son. I mean, if uh, I tell you it's a father-son relationship movie, you won't want to see it. But it's not that kind of it, – it's not one of those. Why couldn't it have been a mother-daughter relationship, Tom snarled? Uh, there is a mother in it. Um, but, yeah, it's about yeah, – They it's... weren't fathers. They were mothers. Cannonball Run, Tom? That is a father-son story also. Mission Impossible for Tom Cruise uses math to determine if he'll be able to pendulum from one building to the next. Does he use math? Does he do like math? Does he do equations on the window? Like well, in his head. I mean, he's a human calculator. Oh, I see. So he's looking like he's doing math. Are you doing your runners up or Jaime's? Jaime's. 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 I just want to say I love this topic and can't wait to hear everyone's choices. Love the show, Jaime. Sorry if I fucked up your name. Both times. Mark Liberatore, number three, while at work today, a pair of colleagues and I were working out a problem <laughs> that corresponded to a game with a Nash equilibrium. So when I finished your podcast on my way home, of course, A Beautiful Mind was my first thought. My favorite memory about the movie is that I went into it not knowing who John Nash was, nor that it was inspired by a true story. I thought it was a campy sci-fi period piece for the first 45 minutes or so. Uh, I remember liking Connelly in it. Didn't she win an Oscar for that shot? For Beautiful Mind? It's Beautiful Mind's one of those movies. It's it's exactly what Dingus said. It's like Apollo 13. It's like you're seeing really qualified, like dudes who look like mathematicians, like working in teams and writing shit. And the, but in then in, in Beautiful Mind, it's kind of like Amadeus, where it's just like he sees lights and you're just. It's like what. What he said about Tom Cruise, just it looks like he's trying. They use CG to suggest that he, he's too. You wouldn't even understand what he was thinking about. So we're just gonna have to use computer graphics to like blow your mind. Yeah, I'm, you're not gonna get me defending Beautiful Mind or Dingus. I'm afraid. Sorry. Oh, uh, you don't like Apollo 13? Apollo 13 is why I have a Bacon number of one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've got that going for it. I do appreciate that about it. Wait, you do? Yeah, you know, there's a game where you say, like, how many yeah, yeah. Uh, movies? Like, if you have a Bacon number of zero, you are in a movie with Kevin Bacon. If you so are in a movie with someone who was in a movie with Kevin Bacon, you have a Bacon number of one. If you are in a movie with someone who was in a movie with someone who was in a movie with Kevin Bacon, you have a Bacon number of two. What's the movie? I did this uh, dippy little western with Rob Lowe and uh, Bill Paxton. <laughs> you said that best shit, and you just go, oh, by the way. <laughs> no, Bill Paxton was in was in Apollo 13 uh, with with Kevin Bacon. Because they're both in that, right? They might oh, yeah. 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 So there's my Bacon Wait, what was your one. western called? It was called Frank and Jesse. Oh, wait, I remember that thing. I didn't see it. You never told me to see it. Of course it. you didn't see it. Nobody saw it. <laughs> nobody, nobody should see what it. What do you do when you get shot in the head? I get shot in the head. I am a, I am a, a, the, a Pinkerton, I think I'm a Pinkerton agent. I'm like wait, a bounty hunter. Role. I what? get sent. I, <laughs> that sounds awesome. And I, I, I go to. Here was this. Chase him down. Oh, good lord. I don't know. You sound more, well, you brought it up, A. Two, it's math related. It's, it's not math related. Yeah, it is. You're one away from Kevin Bacon. That's oh, point. right, right. That, yeah. uh, I, I think the point of the Kevin Bacon game, though, is that so many people have been in movies with him that nobody really has a Bacon number. Is high. that your only one? Um, I haven't. I've, is that my only one? What? 
Are you only one Kevin Bacon because of Apollo 13? Well, I've never been in a movie with him. So That's what I'm saying, but are you at one only through Apollo 13, or is there another one like you're in a John Hawks movie you didn't mention yet? Uh, I've been very lucky that I could reel off names that might get me kind of close. All right, I've lost interest. But I know, yeah, I know for sure that's the one. But like, yeah, I hope it because you're too reedy voice for me to see all your work in a single evening, probably. <laughs> My kid was so excited because I'm watching Apollo 13. He's like, "What's this about?" And he saw a couple of the scenes while he's doing other things because I ne- I needed to watch the movie today. Uh, and uh, over my Apollo shoulder, 13? he saw Kevin Bacon show up, and he went, "Hey, Kevin Bacon!" And he got so excited because you know Kevin Bacon is. Did he think he was Shaw? Talking? He thought he was Shaw. He thought he was talking yeah. because, of course, he's seen Frank and Jesse, and he was very excited about that. Uh, but he saw Kevin Bacon over my shoulder. He's like, "Hey." Sebastian Shaw. He was very excited. Uh, Dingus' son has not seen Frank and Jesse. I have never subjected anyone to that movie. Who's the girl in it? In what? Frank and Jesse. Or is there is the title Jesse <laughs> Jesse oh, James was a dude. I don't know how to break this. <laughs> no, but isn't there like a, pro- a saloon hooker that you hit up for information on his hideout or something on the tape? Uh, no, I get killed by his wife. Uh, she wow. like I have a gun on him, and I'm like, bringing you in, Jesse James. And and his uh, like his girlfriend I forget who the actress was but like his wife or girlfriend or whatever uh, is with him and I'm like you stay there miss and I'm doing tough cowboy talk and she shoots me in the head with a derringer so you're a terrible Pinkerton agent. I'm a terrible Pinkerton agent yes absolutely I thought Shalan Simmons was in that oh, that would be so awesome I was on a plane today traveling and as I totally thought. Is that Shalane Simmons? Like, I totally thought I was traveling on the same plane. Because when you fly in and out of places like Burbank or LAX, you can be, you know, celebrities are on some of those same planes. I totally briefly, for a little bit, I had to double check, but it wasn't. I thought I was on a plane today with Shalane Simmons. That would have been so awesome. Oh, man. That would be a great story. Uh, For the listeners, Shalane Simmons, of course, the star of Chupacabra Terror. She is the kickboxing instructor who kickboxes the Chupacabra. I think I'd rather be on a bus with Gabe Kaplan. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. Kelly what what do the listeners have for <laughs> Mark us? Mark Libertori's number two, After Beautiful Mind, was his number three an hour ago. Speaking of mental illness and mathematics, <laughs> as we were on the podcast, Aronofsky's pie disturbed me far more than it should have. I think it was supposed to. I saw it way too late at night after a brutal mathematics exam in college. That seems like a weird thing to want to watch. You can just turn that shit off. That's kind of like wanting to watch Requiem for a Dream after doing heroin. That's like watching Planet of the Apes and then spending the night in the monkey house with Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> I may. Welcome to it, Kelly Wand. Ah, fine. Welcome to the Planet of the Apes is going to be the name of the third one. Go home. They open a hotel. The idea of the drill going into Max's temple still freaks me out. Yeah, trepanation's cool. As we know from a certain story, I won't spoil Tom. <laughs> the story of our lives. You got tri- <laughs> you got trepanned by Jesse James's wife, girlfriend. Is oh. it is it trepanning Pers- when there's a bullet involved? <laughs> I think there's yeah. a different word for that. I don't think so. <laughs> they didn't do lobotomies with bullets. <laughs> well, I'm not a doctor. That's what. Well, my not even med- not even Doctor Holiday. My medical. <laughs> My medical bag has a gun and a, and a bottle in it, so yes. In Ghostbusters, Harold Ramis' Egon is constantly measuring and calculating, Tom. He's measuring and calculating me? Why? 
Does that make any sense? I just want to make sure you're paying attention. My favorite example is the following quote. Let's say this Twinkie represents all the psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning's sample, it would be a Twinkie 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. Ernie Hudson goes, that's a big Twinkie. See, they're smoking cigarettes. That's why you would say it's an R-rated movie, right, Tom? Should be. You don't want kids to see that. Runners up, Rushmore, Jason Jason Schwartzman. Dreams of solving the hard geometry. Wait, that's a good one, Dingus. You can put that one in. Now, Rushmore. No, that, that's one of my runners-up, but I did uh, not okay, pick okay. Rushmore. That's a runner-up. Yeah. See, you getting scooped on runners-up by listeners. Yeah, that's, that's fine with me. Yeah, that's I'm, true. It's the least I'm happy do. for a listener to bring up Rushmore so that I don't have to. That's all they have. Yeah, uh, the, he, he, solves the, he solves the hardest uh, math problem in the world. Someone say my name? Isn't that as a James Bond line? For you. Doesn't John Cusack have a math nightmare in Better Off Dead at the beginning? I mean, the middle. Maybe one of the has chosen that as his Keep reading, favorite. Tom. Kelly, which one am I? Twelve Monkeys. Brad Pitt uses a probability matrix to predict the future. I don't quite remember that. I think it all blurs together after a while. Rain Man just <laughs> plays a mathematical savant. I guess that's more the premise in the movie, but good hunting, Pat. David plays a math. All right, listen. We have too many listeners for your savants. Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna writes, I hope you enjoyed the sweet math joke I stuck in the subject line, uh, which was the maths 2 plus 1 times 7 minus 4. It's kind of a Mr. Show joke, huh, Tom? Did you ever watch that show? Uh, I didn't know it. 2 times wait, 2 minus 1. There's like a wrap. Duo. I've been away for a bit, but I, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratt, enjoy making Kelly one have to read aloud. Oh, you fuckers. So here's my top three maths. Number three in Mean Girls, Lindsay Lohan's supposed to be a math genius, but to win a boy over, she does poorly on tests and intentionally learns things her crush teaches her incorrectly, even though the voiceover makes clear Lohan knows better. Number two, probably the one a majority of people, I'm guessing, because it's so important in the film. And Goodwill Hunting, the thing that Matt Damon from Jizz Mopper to Genius Crybaby. I didn't know that's what he mopped. That was his job. Does that make you want to see the movie, Tom? Well, MIT is a pretty questionable place. Who knows what's going on over there? Well, they're making baby geniuses, except unless except for Matt Damon's work. Solves him a complex math problem left on a chalkboard when he should have been emptying the waste bins. Number one, the scene in Better Off Dead. Ah, see? I swear I didn't... Okay. Or the students love math so much, they're sad when the bell rings always struck me as really silly and really funny. Ever since I was little, I loved this film. The scene's totally about math. So number one, get it? One's a number. Uh, That sounds like a they-came-together joke, kind of. So I like it. My runner-up's pie, because if everyone doesn't choose Goodwill Hunting... They'll choose the number that makes everything go wrong and pie. And I love you, man. <laughs> because Rush is considered math rock. Is that true, Tom? Um, I did not know that. I don't know the only math be. rock I know is those, uh, they might be giants. Randy Connolly writes, Tom, this isn't that kind of party, all right? Randy Connolly writes, Number three, quotes between the three main actors in an early scene. You're not going to lose the house. Everyone has three mortgages nowadays. But at 19%, you didn't even bargain with the guy. Ray, for your information, the interest rate alone for the first five years comes to $95,000. 
This exchange is Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Terrell Bramus in 1944's Ghostbusters. Is that movie? I feel like that movie would hold up, but I haven't seen it in a while. But everyone who sees it says it doesn't hold up. As an adult homeowner, this is one of the most horrifying moments in cinema. I saw it more as an exciting Ghostbuster moment, personally. Number two, quotes between another three characters in a different movie. My dad took on a shark. I heard he took on three. Three sharks? That's got to be 4,800 teeth. That's from 2004's Shark Tale, JK. little product placement for one of my old projects. Finding Nemo, Tom. Your favorite DreamWorks movie. I don't think there is any such creature. Bloat the Puffer Fish, voiced by Brad Garrett, your favorite uh, TV star, after yourself. I prefer Bo Garrett, thank you very much. Oh yeah, she was great in 10. Demonstrates a quick mind as he mashes multiplication with useless bar trivia. It's a terrifically delivered line. (laughs) Delivered's a hard word for me to say. That's how many listener submissions we have. In a movie filled with terrifically delivered lines, and it always makes me chuckle. Number one, uh, he does the Ghostbusters Twinkie one. Thank you, Randy Connolly. Uh, Matt Dijinik? Dijinik? How do you say Is he a friend of yours, Tom? How do you say D-U-J-N-I-C? Um, I, I, you're in charge Just of this. I, I, yeah, right. I can't. You've had enough. I would have to write that down. Give me those letters again, Kellywine. I'll figure this out for you. D-U-J-N-I-C? Yeah. Dudgnik. Dudgnik. Okay, what about this? Matt. Mate. Kelly, I'll just suggest one that I don't think will be mentioned otherwise. It's from Aliens, but it isn't from the theatrical cut. I hope that doesn't qualify it due to some chicky and pedantry. Anyway, here it is. The turret sequences. And then he posts a link, but I'm, you've told me in the past if I click on links and it never works or something. Uh, the listeners will not be able to see the video that he's probably linking. Yes, well, that's correct. I'll just send it to those who are interested. I hope our listeners write in their idea of the worst director in the world over Matt Reeves, too. What do you think this week's three, or next week's three by three is going to be? We've already, well, we know what your number one is already, so, uh, uh, uh our turret sequences, these scenes, I don't, yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. These two scenes only exist in the extended cut of the TV cut, the Marine setup. I don't think I've seen these things. TV cut? What? <laughs> It's the it's the countdown for the ammo. Uh, it's uh, and it's not a director's. It's often referred to as a director's cut, but it's the opposite of director's cut because Cameron removed those sequences as well as all the uh, LV four two six stuff. Two four six. What's the planet? Speaking of math, um, it's called Prometheus. The planet. Oh God. Uh, but yeah, there's scenes where you see the ammo counters for these automated sentry guns. Uh, and the idea is that there's all these aliens. It's like a, a Zulu concept where all these aliens are running at the defenses. Right. And rather than showing the aliens, they show you the ammo counters counting down. Uh, and they eventually, I think one of them, actually, they don't actually run out of ammo. I think one of them has like, you know, seven rounds left or something. Um, why don't they just wait till they're right next to them and then do, like, why don't they use their bullets better? Presumably they are, but there are so many of them. Because they're in a horror movie. Isn't it true that in Aliens, Cameron only ever had three alien suits? Really? Yeah, and there's only one shot where you ever see, and it's when... Is it, Including the Queen? Is it with Hudson? When he looks up at the uh, the the ceiling, has these like little uh, tiles you could lift up, and he peeks up there and shines a flashlight down and sees 
the aliens coming at him. I think there's only three of them. That's the only shot. In that shot, those are all the alien suits they had. That's how, why that movie's good, because it feels like there's shitloads of them. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's the magic of cinema, Kelly Wand. According to Matt Dudgenick, he says Hicks's line is, <laughs> B-Gun's down 50%, 150 rounds on D. I just wondered, Tom, if you felt that, that was an accurate representation. Uh, I would need a calculator to check his work, but that does sound correct. B-Gun. Uh, next time they can walk right up and knock. Yeah, but they don't know that. Thanks, Matt Dudgenick. Worthless PS for pure storytelling. The TV cut of Aliens is the best cut of Aliens. It adds back in the turret sequences. Additional context about Ripley's daughter and even a nice beat where we learn Hicks's first name is Dwayne, which should make Tom happy, he adds. Oh, it does make me happy now that he mentions that. Why? Thank you, Matt. Because it's uh, because there Dwayne are many Fox. great actors named Dwayne, like Dwayne Johnson. Ugh. <laughs> really? Of course that's why he said that. And yeah, Dwayne Johnson, uh, great he, actor. You know what? I won't. I don't know about great actor, but certainly better than Harrison Ford. Certainly, that's really better. what I'm saying. <laughs> certainly, a uh, better actor than Matt Reeves, in Tom's opinion. Uh, okay, next listener submission of ten to go. Justin D. Heard writes. Justin from Oklahoma here. Absolutely love the topic. Number three, Perfume. Oh, I was going to read the book, so I didn't see this movie. Perfume, the story of a murderer. In the spirit of Kelly Wan, this kind of breaks the topic. For one, if Kelly Wan hasn't seen this, he needs to watch it just for the penultimate scene, which should delight him to no end. Ben Wishaw. Uh, name sounds familiar. Invades Dustin Hoffman's lab, explaining he can make the best-selling perfume at the time. Amor and Psyche, which has eluded Dustin Hoffman up until this point. Ben Wishaw has no idea about the ingredients, just what they smell like and how to put them together. Dustin dresses him down because he doesn't know how to put the right chords, notes, and formula. Wishaw defies Hoffman's by-the-books ideals so he can simply make it more better, showing that sometimes math isn't the best answer to solving your problems. Ben Wishaw was in Cloud Atlas, and he is the guy who gives James Bond his his guns and gadgets and tools. Oh, he's the new Q. Q, right. I keep forgetting which one it is. (laughs) You get M and Q mixed up. (laughs) Oh, Tom. That's Judy Dench. What letter is she? M. M. Oh, right, from Mom. I remember he goes, goes, I didn't think that stood for your first name. And then she's all right, that's enough. You remember that part? Um, I don't remember the letters. I'm bad with letters. I'm good at math. If If her name was Q... Number two, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. When Harry and Gary Perry decide to interrogate one of the members of the hospital, Harry takes upon himself to play the numbers and threats the team Russian roulette. And number one, primer. While this movie completely centers around garage, that's a movie you've recommended to me, I think, Tom. Guardedly? Nope, I have not. Yeah, oh, guardedly, maybe, yes. The, the very first, but the, the early, the wind-up in primer. Is, is that the one with the uh, upstream color chick? It is the one with the upstream color director. No, not that. Okay, right, right. It's no. the one I, the other one you recommend. A Horrible Way to Die. Ten Million Ways to Die in the West. What is it? What's the A Horrible Way to Die is, uh, is Adam Wingard. Horrible Way to Die. Right. Um, uh, oh. A Lonesome Place to Die is Susan George. And A Million Ways to Die in the West is dead. It did not do well at the box office. It did? Ha No, it did not. <laughs> no one wants to see him. I know. He was Give us more uh, CG teddy bears with Mark Wahlberg. Exactly. Yeah. That's how low 
That's how little. Never mind. Number one, primer. While this movie centers around garage engineers betting a time machine, <laughs> is that what it's about? I absolutely love how Bath plays into the logic of the story. After Abe explains to Aaron the logistics of the machine, they both take a spin in their respective boxes. We see Abe get out first, winded but otherwise fine. After about a minute, Aaron comes spilling out of his box like he'd been run over by a freight train because he didn't trust the math. Just so Kelly Wan can delight us with his voice more. See, he's fucking sadistic. You see, Aaron got out earlier from the machine, but since he was caught in the A-B loop on the back end, he came out later than Abe, who trusted the math and waited patiently. Not only is this cool representation of the rules of the time machine, but also foreshadows Aaron's disregard of the limits and his eventual spiraling, spiraling out of control. Things Tom didn't appreciate. Just another reason why Primer is a tight movie that's exceptionally well thought out time travel movie. While Looper faltered, even though Rian Johnson. Rian. Rian? Rian what is it? Ryan? This is Ryan Johnson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why would I care what people are, how do they say their names? I don't give a shit. Had Shane Carruth working with them on the machine, at least, and left a bitter taste in my mouth. And yes, Tom, this movie does need to be watched multiple times to get everything that's going on. And even then, I think there, uh, I think it's got problems. There, there are parts that don't work, that aren't explained, that make no sense, that should have been cut. That's what bugged me about Donnie Darko. Like, I like the, the feel of the movie, but I don't understand anything. And then the director's cut gave away nothing. Is that enough? Maybe you need to see S. Darko, the sequel. You told me not to. I know. I was being facetious. Do not see it. You didn't even, it was so bad you didn't even troll me on it. (laughs) That's how bad it must have been. Soren Hoogland writes, Hi, fellas. I only have two picks I really liked for this one. Number two, but even though you can't figure anything out, you'll be responsible for it on the midterm. Tom? That would, uh, is it Serious Man? Yeah. Good work. Very nice. Uh, number one, being bad at maths in Bruges, the second of the little boy's sins. It's a crushing, heartbreaking little detail that really drives home the horror of what happened in the church. Really surprised somebody chose this because uh, I no that because this is something that occurred to me right away and I'm really uh, surprised and kind of pleased that Soren chose this because just that kid writing that down is such a heartbreaking little moment so that's a really great little choice it's not I mean it's not something that is mathematical but it's a really great representation of how math impact you and I love that Soren did that that's a great choice uh Nick Dingle writes number three in Transformers 2 (laughs) no colon needed for that one a submarine tracks quote five Transformers swimming to the bottom of the ocean where is this one of the ones you guys watched because I don't see this one so you guys have to I think I've seen this one you know I probably haven't three is the one you guys stopped watching even though Right. We right. missed the Battle of Chicago. Yeah. We got the gist from the fourth one. Because his face, your favorite movie. Uh, submarine tracks five Transformers swimming to the bottom of the ocean where one is destroyed for parts and used to revive Megatron. <laughs> it sounds boring already. Five minus one plus one equals five, right? But no, somehow the submarine tracks six Transformers coming back up. As Michael Bay would say, fuck you, math. Wait, I thought that would be Channing Tatum. Would say that. Do you guys know the thing about in Blade Runner? There's the scene where um, M.M. at Walsh is briefing Deckard um, about you know Six. what he's got to do. Yeah, and he's like you know there's there's he says uh, in, depending on the cut you see there are various numbers when he talks about how many skin jobs are still out there. Do you know about this, Kelly Wand? Yeah, I remember th- seeing it when I first saw the movie. Going wait what? And then in the book there's six, 
if I remember right. Well, it, it's from uh, it's there was a draft of the screenplay where there was an additional replicant named Mary. They had uh, Chris, fine. Leon, Roy, Batty, um, what am I missing? Zora and Mary. Um, Mary, a girl. Yep, there's another chick. Uh, or like no, the a Hobbit. Hobbit. Yeah. A Hobbit. No, no. Yeah, there's another chick replicant it's out really there. Killing uh, but then uh, Sean Young, also. Like, there's some discussion. Uh, oh, yeah. is Sean so, Young yeah. one of them that the Terrell Corporation has picked up and, and wiped? Uh, and yeah, and does it refer to Deckard? But no, it, it was just it was an error, and it has to do too with where the scene is put in the movie. Previously, that scene happens before the fight with Leon or is it after but at any rate it's, it's part of it is editing too um, and they couldn't go back and reshoot that scene there are some cuts that have it <laughs> dubbed with a different That's number um, but yeah it's, it's just a big mess of editing and dubbing depending on what you see and no one cared and no one yeah and no one yes. by the way I, I read I don't know if this is true uh, Hampton Fancher, Fancher and David Peoples did the script for, for Blade Runner in their drafts I think Ridley Scott has said that Deckard was not a replicant, that that was something that he added when he was shooting the movie, and that Hampton Fancher and David Peoples didn't have as part of their script. Huh. I don't know if that's true, I, and I'm a little suspicious of that. He didn't suck yet. Maybe that's, yeah, I guess you're right. But at any rate, so that made me think of, that. that's a weird math thing, that is just an editing and dubbing error in certain cuts of, of Blade Runner. I don't think he's one in the book. Which would make sense since they. Well, no, the book is a. Are you talking about the Philip K. Dick thing? Yeah. It's a short story. It's not even. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally not. different. What? It's a novel, fool. It's no, thing. it's not. What? Do androids dream of electric sheep? I, I thought know. it was a short story. It's a novel. Uh, no, it, it's a short novel. That's what I meant. Uh, They're both right. I'm it's like called. You're going to get in trouble for this. It's, <laughs> like, so the, it's like the body. No, it's not. It's got that whole yeah. It's it's got that whole weird like religious subtext. Yeah, Mercerism. God, nerd. Wow. It's not my favorite. My favorite math in Blade Runner is when Harrison Ford is trying to order in the before Gaff comes up to him. <laughs> he's asking for a number four, and the guy doesn't understand him, and he has to go two, two, four. That's my favorite part of Blade Runner's math. Dwayne Johnson wouldn't be able to count that high. You might. Hey. I mean, uh, he would have been a good replicant. And uh, what an amazing Indiana Jones, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson played a business owner in Snitch, I will have you know. And you can't run a trucking business unless you know a thing or two about math. The Millennium Falcon wouldn't hurt his leg. How how did it? How fast did it run that Kessel run? Uh, see, wait, you're supposed to be the Star Wars apologist. That, Don't that's not even measure. Oh, I am yeah. I am apologizing for it right now. There's that was better, before he was promoted to a captain. Though. There's a better Harrison Ford move, uh, uh, math scene, and I'm just waiting for somebody to bring it up. Has are we done with the listeners yet, or do we? Have no. Does it involve weight, or does it involve cubits? There's so many listener submissions. I'm taking breaks from it. It, it yeah, involves math questions. It involves kadams. Oh, I thought they were cubits. What? Yeah, the two for Allah because they're on the other side of the. Not, not for, for Allah. Allah. Sorry, Sorry, are you kidding? Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Jesus, Muslim, Cubits and Allah. Who are you? <laughs> Wait, there's... Oh, you mean for the staff? Yeah. yeah. Take back that's one, expensive. Kadam, for the Hebrew God whose ark this is. You hear that, Tom? See, that, and that is the same as the Hebrew God. I mean, that, is, that is how Tom defines math as that kind of arithmetic. It's subtraction. So I felt comfortable bringing it up. Listeners, can someone make a GIF? Is it GIF or GIF, Tom? Or GIF? Well, one's a peanut butter, and one is a graphics <laughs> compression format. 
I want, you tell shot. me, Kelly Wand. <laughs> I want your headshot as a as a vine or something. Number two, in sneakers, Donal Lowe <laughs> sneakers. I just said it like it was nothing. Oh, okay, we're gonna talk about sneakers, Tom. In sneakers, Donal Logue plays a dorky mathematician who gives a lecture full of hilarious math terms. Isn't Darth Vader in that movie? If I'm gonna bring it back to what sneakers? It's the red for Darth Vader. I know what sneakers is. I don't know what Darth Vader has to do with it. James Earl Jones is in it. Oh, all right. Jesus. I thought you meant David Pratt. Everybody <laughs> no, he did the stunts. Uh, I'll always remember this movie for introducing me to the concept of inducing homomorphisms. Number one, Shirley Dingus has scooped this one, but I love the opening scene in Rushmore, Max, the uh, hardest geometry problem. I especially love teachers. Are you making fun of my delivery of these letters? No, I just like thinking of Christian's name as Shirley Dingus. <laughs> Shirley Dingus. If he'd been a girl, wait. Right. If Dave Dave Perkins writes, "Hey guys, Dave." Speaking of, if Dingus had been a girl, (laughs) hear how this one goes. Please, Michelle, help me. Dave Perkins writes, hey guys, Dave LaCastro, Giovanna Jelly Coffin here. I teach math in college. Oh, this is true, oh. actually. Dave has, Dave's like a super math whiz who has posted math jokes that people who know math think are funny. I don't uh, understand them, but he does actual math jokes. So it's too old. I'm curious to hear what this is. At the end, well, these aren't, that, that wasn't the topic, sadly, although I agree with you. I would like to hear those. At the end of Clue, Miss, which has three different endings, there's some math. Miss Scarlet has, is aiming a gun at the butler. Is it Tim Curry? And they argue over whether there's a bullet still left in the gun. There was one shot at Mr. Body in the study, two shot at the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram. Miss Scarlet says, that's not six. The butler replies, one plus two plus two plus one. They bicker a while more. So Miss Scarlet, like most people faced with tough math, shouts, shut up. <laughs> I like that college math teachers watch Clue and like, to them, that's the comeuppance I got. Take that, Scarlet. In the movie Pi, the main character talks numbers with the Hebrew scholar to bar, and I love the way they draw figures on the stocks page of a newspaper with a grease pencil, and the way the scene <laughs> swirls of cream in coffee and spirals of cigarette smoke in the air. Everything's math, one of them says. I disagree, but it sure is a beautiful subject. I don't know, isn't everything math? I don't know anything about math, but that sounds true. It sounds crazy enough to be true. Stranger than fiction. Uh, I don't think prose is math. No, it's math with letters, unlike not algebra. Math. Not math. It's the math of the human English, heart. not math. Poetry, English. not math. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what argument he's like. <laughs> that came out wrong. I apologize for that implication. Tom. I couldn't tell if you were Koba or Caesar. I, I was Kobe. Or that drunk King. guy. The drunk guy. No. No. Kobe. <laughs> that was an awesome moment. You know what? I did like that moment in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes where he, the, the ape gets reprimanded by the human. That was awesome. No. No. Go home. <laughs> Wait, by the gun or drug? Eh. Dingus, I wonder if we could handle Kelly Wand that way. <laughs> We're going to try. No. I, you're welcome to try anything you want. Give him a drink. See what happens. 
<laughs> Sadly, in my case, I'm not acting. <laughs> oh, this is the scene is not going to end well for Tom. Yeah. Except if it was really me, they would have shot me. <laughs> oh, it's Juan. <laughs> oh God. Oh. Working at Capcom was like I think for everyone concerned. That's All right. get us out of here, Kelly Juan. This is now back to Dave Perkins yes. in progress, and six more after that. How's that for some math? Uh, that's two, and we're thinking of a third, but I didn't listen to last week's podcast till today, so we're super short on time. I could have cut this, but I hope I got it. Might send a follow-up email with a third pick in a bit, Dave and Michelle. That's cool. We're a little... Oh, yeah, they did. (laughs) No offense, Dave and Michelle. I didn't mean it like that. I just felt like I guessed wrong, like I do with math problems. Dave Perkins rewrites, the main character in a serious band tears through some math involved. You know what? We should have had a, I should have taken off the table mathematicians and kids. I can't believe that none of you guys came up with the, what is it, the mentaculus? Is that what he does? In Serious Man? Yeah. Isn't it called the mentaculus? Yeah. Wasn't it a dream sequence? No, no, Arthur's, Uncle Arthur's really working on it. Right, right, right. Yeah. I thought Uh, you guys, I thought for sure Tom would do that. Well, I don't think, I mean, it's not, it's, he's crazy. Like, it's like pi. Like, right. it's a laudable use of math. It's use of math as a, it's a way to represent mental disability. Madness, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, it's like saying aliens, using his examples for aliens. Uh, oh, a pregnancy reveal, for instance, huh? and then bringing up alien. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> burn, sick burn. Yeah, I've been holding on to that grudge for a long time. Do you know in the original script there were six aliens and, uh, alright. Two, two, four. Uh. Let's go order the number four, you see. See? They call him Braid Runner. No, Wait, that's no. Not. First of all, it's, he say you Braid Runner. He say you They Blade call him Blade Runner. Oh my god, Kelly Wand. <sighs> well, I don't memorize racist lines. I misremember them. Do you create, you create them. Yeah. If I misremember them, then it's okay. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a wash, a whitewash, literally. Uh, the main character in Serious Man, Dave Perkins continues in his second email, through some math involved with Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, including what the proves we can't ever really know what's going on. Moments later, the man who's cuckolded him is ramming his face into the blackboard. <laughs> great topic, Kelly. Dave and Michelle. See, a mathematician said it was a great topic. What do you think of that? Clearly, I'm a genius. That's my takeaway, Tom. And you're not. I agree with you. You are a genius. <sighs> See, Dingus thinks you're a genius. Takes away. Okay. David Henderson. David Henderson. David Henderson. David Henderson. Yay, David Henderson. Hey, guys. Sorry, Kelly. This email is 210 words. Number three, margin call. Stanley Tucci tells Paul Bettany how much people's time his bridges saved. Number two, in the movie Serious Man. <laughs> Larry Gopnik, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, tells a South Korean exchange student about the importance of math in order to understand physics. Number one, last week there were a fair number of discussions about whether or not certain movies hold up. I think Aliens holds up. I think yeah, I think we all agree. 
Everybody agrees Alien's whole set, doesn't it? No, but I love that somebody else came up with that engineering thing from Margin Call. That's cool. Oh, wait, this is a different Aliens one. Uh, I chose the scene where the aliens are made in the defensive perimeter that the characters set up as Hicks is counting down the meters on the movement scanner. Hudson and Ripley show a good understanding of how far a meter is in relation to their position. At 15 meters, Hicks says that the aliens are, quote, definitely inside the perimeter. <laughs> At 12 meters, Ripley says, that's right outside the door. At 6, Ripley says, it can't be, that's inside the room. However, in this scene, Vasquez's math is a little off when she states, then they're right on us at the 10-meter mark. I guess she can be forgiven. She was probably dazed from using a blowtorch without a welder's mask. Thanks for reading. Um, David Henderson. What's that chick's name again? Jeanette McDonald? Yeah. No, no, uh, Goldman. Jeanette Goldman? I think so. I just had McDonald on the brain. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Scott Andrews writes, Math in Space, Apollo 13, Tom Hanks gets his gimbal conversions, quadruple checked. And in Sunshine, Benedict Wong triple checks his trajectory calculations to fly to Icarus, but forgets to reset the shield. Gretchen Grassoff writes, Hey guys, thank you Kelly for choosing such a challenging topic for this week's 3x3. I could only come up with one, but I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's math picks. I haven't seen this movie. Computer Chess? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, I've heard that's a pretty good movie, actually. Sounds like a documentary. I don't trust it. It's not. Well, for those who haven't seen this, Gretchen continues. It's a strange, fake documentary set in the 80s about programmers who make and compete in a chess tournament using their math. Oh. I use it. That's my favorite kind of documentary, by the way. Yeah, the fake ones. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can oh, do whatever you want there. Like Cloverfield. It doesn't have to matter if it really happened. Even Matt Reeves can make a good one. Mm-hmm. It's it's Jeanette Goldstein, by the way. I'm an idiot. Uh, well, I said McDonald, so I think we were both thinking... What did Tom say? Goldman? No, I said Goldman. It's Goldstein. Oh. If I had been here for whatever you guys were talking about, I would have gotten it right. Yeah, Tom definitely would have. That's some math for both of us to consider, Dingus. Seriously. One of the competitors, Mike Papa George, is too cheap slash broke to get his own hotel room, and it costs several other players to let him sleep in their rooms. He's endlessly rejected, ends up as the butt of this math joke. One of the teams, Team Noog, wrote a program to run a predictive algorithm. They charted every room that Mr. Papa George attempted to stay in over the weekend, and the prediction was room 217. <laughs> Wait, is that a shining joke? Or is that two, 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 uh, seven? Yeah, it's not. Huh? It's Shining. It's case? different in the book and the movie, so I always get confused. It's two, three, seven. Dingus, what's the room in The Shining? I have no idea. I don't like that movie. That's not true, really. I said that many times. I thought that was Tom. No, I didn't like it, but now I do like it. <laughs> what do you think of that, Dingus? Uh, reversed. Can't do anything about it. That's how it works. <laughs> That's too bad, Dingus. Oh, well. Next movie. Uh, one programmer turns to the other and whispers, that's just a math joke. I don't get that math joke. Grasshoff, explain it to me. What's 217 mean about a math joke? Or is it just either trolling? Why is 217 a math joke? Am I supposed to understand that? It's an area code. I'm not going to get any help from you people. <laughs> it's uh, the... It's not the police thing for homicide. It's, it's, it's one fewer than the number of miles that the trucks have to drive in Sorcerer. Mm. Oh, yeah, it is. You're right. That's clearly what Gretchen's referring to. Nerd alert, love Gretchen Grasshoff. Oh, see? 
Leah Miller writes, Hey guys, it's Leah with some math for the 3 by 3 The Princess Bride, where Fezzik and Inigo are doing the math with regards to how many guards each could potentially take out when they storm the castle. Oh, I forget that part. Number two, though, I first became aware of it because of The Muppet Show, the chorus in the back of the song Inchworm in the film musical. Hans Christian Andersen was one of my favorite songs growing up. I know that's one of Tom's. Or was that a Brothers Grimm one? Just kids singing their times tables while Danny Kaye opines, opines, opines about the value of both arithmetic and of taking time to appreciate the beauty of the world around you. Mm, sounds terrifying. Yeah. I was... That guy's name always put me off. The whole the, People with three names are always annoying to me. Unless it's one of our listeners. Then I love it. Oh, I was talking about Danny Kaye. You are talking about Hans Christian Andersen. And I don't like Danny Kaye either. Okay. He's only got two names. I think he wishes he was Jimmy Stewart. There, I said it. Number one, number three. Just two number threes. Um, number three, number two, number three. I really want to hear Wand attempt this one. Even if you're right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. From the classics... Wait, she did it differently from Dave Perkins. Only one of them can be right. Dave had one, two, two, one, and... Leah has one one two one. Disinterest acceptable. And the final, Aaron Vaughn writes, "Dear quarter to three by three by three to three. Here are my choices for math and movies. As a game, let's all take a shot for each pick that's already been named more than three times. <laughs> Two of them are number three, kiss kiss bag bag. Timeless of Robert Downey Jr. playing Rush Roulette with a hostage, accidentally kill him because he doesn't go to percentages. It's an eight percent chance of death according to him." According to Tom, it's probably 50-50 or something. See, Tom, you're well known. My math skills are legendary. Yep. As a 50-50-est. Number two, Paper Moon. I always get that movie mixed up with, uh, what's the one with Albert Finney getting divorced? Broke shoot the Moon. Romance. Oh, oh, Shoot the Moon, yeah, with Diane Keaton and Peter Wells. Mo- yeah, and they're both really good movies, but enough, like... Shoot the Moon is, uh, is, uh, the, uh, Alan Parker. Super dark. Yeah, I yeah. love that movie. Yeah, it's got that weird ending. Are you not sure? Never mind. Number two, Paper Moon. When the dad cons the store clerk out of some cash, he fast changes five into ten in a scene so quick, I had to watch it a handful of times to get the number right. This math isn't written somewhere, but it exists. I remember really digging Cincinnati Kid when they, like, count the money. Never mind. Uh, number one, Goodwill Hunting. Well, I don't really like anything about this movie. I do, like... How being caught solving openly displayed equations in a university is like an equivalent to being caught tagging a school building with some graffiti. Uh, that's a good analogy. Was we, we supposed to make that analogy? Like Key Street, Matt Damon's character? Lucy says we only use 10% of our brain. Aaron. Wait. I thought uh, he probably does. Okay, and that's the last listener submission. Right. All right. How about that? Uh, do you have any runners up that are important? The listeners have some I haven't read yet. Ready? There's 13. Uh, I have one runner-up I love, and that's how Barry figures out the Healthy Choice promotion. (laughs) Because try as I might, whenever I watch the movie, I cannot figure out his math. I can't do it. It's just an awesome way to get around and get frequent flyer miles. And speaking that. of documentaries, that was based on a true story. Paul Thomas Anderson actually wrote about a guy who did that and who called them on – uh, a math loophole where 
you could come out ahead if you used a certain number of coupons because they didn't print on the coupon, like only one per customer or whatever. That, well, because he, he, he could use every individual one in the little four packs and yeah. Ah, right, right, yeah, right. So that that's a documentary. That part of Punch Drunk Love is a documentary. Exactly. And therefore not a movie, according to you. Um, right, exactly. But it's not entirely a documentary, so it's allowed. You I can see. have documentary elements in your movies, such as Fargo. Because it's based on a That's a TV series. Hello. Uh, so I recently watched a movie called Girl Most Likely. With uh, <laughs> I've seen I I love Kristen Wiig enough that I will watch wow. whatever she's in, and she's in this really cloying chick movie called Girl Most Likely. And From when? Annette Bening. Uh, this is a couple years ago. Uh, Pre Bridesmaids. Uh, no, no, this stuff is post Bridesmaids. She's in a really terrible oh. one called something like Love Ship Hate Ship. Uh, She's and there's there's kind of trying they're like kind of serious movies where she's trying to not be wacky Kristen Wiig and I love watching that but these movies are so poorly written and they're just poorly directed and Girl Most Likely is so it's one of those movies where you can tell the writer wants to make it about him or herself and the lead character is a stand-in for the writer being misunderstood. And there's a lot of autobiographical stuff. So, of course, the lead character in Girl Most Likely is a playwright. Um, and it's about this hip New York type thing. But at any rate, I, I hate the movie, but I love watching Kristen Wiig so much. And she's just so enjoyable, even when a movie's terrible. Even when she's terrible, she practically sleepwalks through the thing. But at the end of the movie, um, and the movie is about her coming to appreciate her family. And at the end of the movie, you know, her play is running on Broadway, and she's had her opening night, and it's gone very well. And her family wants to go out with her and celebrate. But she gets called aside. Someone's like, uh, Chris, uh, not, her name isn't Kristen in the movie, but uh, so-and-so, there's someone over here who wants to talk to you. And she goes over to the side, and the scene shifts to some guy with zero charisma who is standing there. And you're like, who is this guy, and why is he in this movie? And the movie explains to us... This is Whit Stillman. He really liked your play, and he's really interested in making a movie out of it. And I don't know uh, if the listeners know, but Whit Stillman is a director who does these really droll comedies, like uh, I think one's called Metropolitan, Barcelona. Um, Was that the last one? So uh, she is like, oh, Whit Stillman. He's like, yeah, I really liked your play, and I want to do a movie of it. And she's like, well, oh, I can't because I had to – I promised I would go out with my family. And I've just learned valuable lessons about how much I love them. And when someone's like, oh, well, I'm only in town for another night, so you have to decide now. And she's like, no, I love my family. I'm going to go be with them and celebrate the love I have for my family. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, so the notable thing about this scene is they really did roll poor Whit Stillman out to do this. Oh, and really- he, he does not – it's really him, and he does not belong on screen. Um, so – I've never seen him. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't remember if you did. I mean, he's a non-remarkable guy, apparently, at least as an actor. Uh, but they got Whit Stillman for this. I presume the, the director knew him or whatever. So it's an example of a director appearing in a movie. Fortunately, sometimes this works. Sometimes you see a director in a movie and you're like, man, he's good. Hitchcock. I, I re- Kelly Wan, this is a three-by-three three topic. Maybe you can save your picks for when we actually do the topic next week. I was making fun of you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of his cameras. Oh, wait. This is a topic? So the topic is – I'm going to give it a name. The topic is called <laughs> – that you're doing it at a broader – oh. <laughs> no, sorry. I've moved all that time. He's, he's introducing his topic. 
I apologize. So the three by three is called, but what I really want to do is act. Mm. And what I want from you guys are examples of directors in movies that you like. Um, and it can't be, I mean, actual directors. I don't mean Ben Affleck was, was really good in, in, uh, the town. Uh, you know, because Ben Affleck we know as an actor. I'm talking about people we know primarily as, as directors. Uh, sometimes they're in movies and sometimes it works out really well. And I want you to tell me a, a little bit about your favorite instances of those times. So if you, the listeners, have any picks of directors who were notable in movies, again, don't tell me about actors who went on to direct as well. I want directors who appeared in movies, presumably as actors. The Hitchcock cameos are, I guess, a good example. I don't think any of those is notable. I think they're more Easter eggs. I don't know Hitchcock well enough. Um, but if there are any that are notable, uh, feel free to pick those. Uh, so send those in to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com that's the number three, the letter X, the number three, at sign, and then you spell out quarter to three dot com. Uh, we would love to read your picks, and we'll tell you about our choices for that uh, next week. Also, next week, we are going to see uh, per, uh, an- no, Purge Anarchy, Anarchy the Purge. What? Geez, Pete. Are we doing Pur- Yeah, of course. We are going to see The Purge, colon, Anarchy. Um, so <laughs> check out that movie. I didn't and, see the first one. Does that uh, matter? And uh, I, well, we'll find out. I don't recommend the first one. I don't. All right. But the problem with the first one is it doesn't understand that it's supposed to be a satire. Uh, hopefully, the <laughs> second one, someone wrote them a memo. Uh, uh, so see that movie. Join us for our picks of our favorite instances of directors in movies. Uh, and I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Matransky. It's Christian Morosky. And also Kelly Wand. It sounds like Planet Apes without apes. Stop filming McPhee.